to Totalus Rankium. This week, Alexios. And welcome to Roman Emperor's Totalus Rankium. I am Jamie. And I'm Rob, ranking all of the emperors from Augustus to Augustus, and this is episode 146. Oh, you see, you see what's happened? I, Jamie's already, shaking his head. Already. Obviously. Obviously. You know, I'm just keeping this yeah, in. I'm yeah, just rolling yeah. with it today. I'm excited. We're back from Augustus to Constantine 11. Um, obviously. And this is episode 146, Alexios. Um, and uh, yeah, we're back. And we are energised as well. We are feeling it. We are ready to go. You're in a new place. I'm still in the same place, but that's okay. We've had snow. One of us has been vaccinated. We've been on lockdown. Yes. I've spent all my time moving um, yeah. and stressing yes. about moving. Yes. Uh, but it's fine. I live in a village now. That's weird. Ah, oh, village life. Yeah, I, I've only ever lived in very large cities, and now yeah. I live in a very small village. I'm expecting your internet to cut out every five minutes. Uh, it's been fairly good yeah, so I'm far. Although horses go past the house, <laughs> Jamie. Horses. <laughs> I'm not convinced I've not gone back in time. Hopefully they'll do it during a battle scene. Oh, maybe I could get them to recreate things. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, right, let's not just chat about what we've been up to, as exciting as it is to be back. That's not what people are here for. People are here to listen to Alexios. Um, and it's been a while since we've recorded, so um, let's do a very quick recap. Uh, but I warn you, longer than normal episodes, so let's, let's try and get it's through this fine. quickly. Okay, so, ever since Basil 2, remember him? Nope. Oh dear. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> do you remember Basil 1? I've got a dog called Basil. That's his... That, that will do. Imagine him as an emperor and then add one. Uh, Basil II. Um, yeah, ever since Basil II, uh, about half a century previously, the empire's been declining. Yes. Uh, when his nieces, Zoe and Theodora, finally died, the power struggle uh, has been between the families of the powerful. Yeah. And also various uh, degrees, the military factions been coming in and uh, trying to take power with backing from various families from the powerful. Essentially, powerful families trying to take control. Now, if you remember, the powerful, or at least a faction of it, put Michael the Old in place as a placeholder. Yeah, I remember him. And then the Komnenai family came into power when Isaac cooed. Like a remember that coup took place uh, in a tent and Michael Sellis went along and there was all the uh, circles of soldiers. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Sellis being Sellis. Celus was Celus, yeah. Uh, Isaac then got in and died. Celus put his friend Constantine Ten Ducas on the throne yeah. with his brother John Ducas in the background. Remember John Ducas yeah. always there? He, he was yeah. the puller, string puller, wasn't he? He was the puller, string puller. Um, yeah. Uh, and then Constantine Ten died, and his wife Eudocia, realising the empire needed a general, pulled some political strings and uh, got the general Romanos IV Diogenes into power. Mm. Uh, turning against her own family uh, and uh, she got her own episode I was very impressed with her uh, and then Manskirt happened, remember? Battle, they lost, oh dear, really really badly Yeah, people seem to remember that, don't they? Yeah, it was, it's a biggie, it is a biggie um, Everyone goes on about it all the time They do, well, I mean, there is valid reason for this one um, I mean, as always a bit like with Adrianople, there is more to it than this one battle yeah. caused the turn. Yeah. But if you're going to put the linchpin in somewhere, it's, it's a sensible place. Uh, things certainly start going from bad to worse after 
Manzikert, uh, because the Empire start to lose all their land in Anatolia, only having a few scrapings of land right on the coast still. Uh, and then the Ducas family revolted and deposed Romanos and put Michael Seven Ducas in charge. Shortly after, yeah. the military factions started to rebel against Michael, and a whole bunch of generals named Nikephros revolted, yeah. including Nikephros III, who was a very old general, and that was our last episode. Yes. That's a very brief recap. Um, just, just hopefully that will just spark some little things yeah, in your head. Yeah. It's, it's like, <laughs> it's like when a pet looks at you and you think you know what the pet... You, you, you know when you talk to your pet and you think, he understands me. They know what I'm talking yeah. about. But really did have the pets yeah. going... Do, 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 yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm that pet. Well, that, that will do. As long as you're happy, that's what's I'm important. Are you fed? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, good. Right. Okay, so as we saw in Nikephros 3's episode, his reign was just a series of coups. Coup after coup, and eventually his most trusted general, Alexios, usurped him. And that's yes. obviously the man we're doing today. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's the recap, although it is worth pointing out uh, just how chaotic the last half a century has been in Roman history. Right. To highlight this, between 976 and 1025, Basil II ruled for nearly 50 years. Wow. Then, in the next roughly 55 years, we have had Constantine VIII, Romanos III, Michael IV, Michael V the Ship Smearer, Zoe II, Constantine IX, Theodora, Michael VI the Old, Isaac Komnenos, Constantine X, Ducas, Eudocia, Romanos IV, Diogenes, Michael VII, Ducas, and Nikephros III. I think the thing that's lacking now in the Empire is consistency. I, I agree. I agree. And you might be pleased to learn that things are going to get a little bit more stable once more. Oh, okay. So let's find out how, shall we? We start today in 1048. Zoe and Theodora are still around, um, and Alexios Komnenos was born into the powerful Komnenos family. Mm. Alexios was the nephew of Isaac I, the son of Isaac's brother, John Komnenos. There were three brothers in this family, the eldest, was Manuel. Ah, oh, yes. It's always good to have a Manuel. Uh, then there was Isaac, not the future yeah. Emperor Isaac, yeah. but child Isaac. And then the youngest of the three was our Alexios. Oh. So obviously, if you're the third brother Ooh. to a powerful family, yeah. two things. One, it means that you aren't entitled to as much. Yeah. You're not expected to do as well. Yeah. And two, it means you're probably in a fairy tale and you'll ultimately be the good one. So, Is this a fairy tale? Oh, possibly. Quite possibly. Mm. Anyway, the uh, the Comden and I uh, were a big military family. Uh, in particular, his uncle, as in Alexios's uncle, was doing very well. Because when Alexios was around ten years old, his uncle Isaac revolted and became emperor. Brilliant. Yep. His father, John Komnenos, was the emperor's most trusted advisor. Okay. So things are really looking up for young Alexios yeah. here. Uh, however, as we've seen, Uncle Isaac soon became ill. He didn't last very long. He died only a couple of years after getting the throne. And uh, the workings of Michael Sellis meant that the next emperor was not John Komnenos, as many people wanted, uh, but instead one of Sellis's old friends, Constantine X Ducas. So the Komnenos family were out. They are no longer the royals, but they're not completely out. Uh, they're still a very powerful family. 
Well, you, you, yeah, you've got the roots, haven't you? To... Well, yeah, they've still got their ties, and in particular, the three Comnenae brothers, Manuel, Isaac and Alexius, were starting to make a name for themselves as young generals. Sort of. Oh. I mean, Alexius is only around 15 at this point, so he's a bit too young to actually be leading armies. Is it making a name for yourself in the terms of you're now a lieutenant, even though you've done the thing, kind of thing? Oh, no, 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 no. No, it was, you're now in charge of the armies of the East, not you're now your lieutenant. Oh. Well, I I guess what I'm trying to get to to is, like, were they just put into a high position because of their upbringing rather than through talent? Yes, yes, very much so. They were common and high boys. They were put into high positions of power, Uh, especially Manuel, because he he was old enough to start commanding. Uh, it's around this time that Constantine Ten Ducas dies, and Eudocia worked out a way to get Romanos IV onto the throne. And this was great news for the Comnenae family. Yeah. Uh, in particular, the three brothers' mother, this is a woman named Anna de Lessene, a family we've also come across before, uh, or she was really harbouring a grudge against the Ducas family. Her husband, John Comnenos, yeah. the boy's father, he died recently. Oh. So she took over the family affairs, essentially. She became the matriarch. Uh, and she arranged for the eldest boy, Manuel, to wed into Romanos IV's family. So go and get married to someone who is related to the Emperor, and we will be back in. And because of this, the powerful Comnenae family publicly uh, lent weight to the coup against the Ducas family. So when Romanos IV came into power, the Comnenae were fully there saying, yes, this should happen, and helping the, the coup. So in the return for this support, Romanos made sure that there were jobs for the three Comnenae brothers. Uh, Manuel in particular did well as the eldest. Uh, he was made, as I mentioned earlier, leader of all the armies in the east. Well, that's a good, good promotion, I guess. It, it's pretty good. You don't get much better no. than that. No. He's still, still quite young here, still in his 20s. Mm. See, power goes your head as well when you're young. It does, yeah. <laughs> Equally, we've seen some very talented... Uh, Alexander the Great was very, very young, That's wasn't true. he? But his name was The yeah. Great, so that helps. That's true. Um, Manuel's name... No, I've just checked. Manuel's not called Manuel the Great. Oh. Oh, dear. Uh, well, we'll see how he does. Um, <laughs> he sets off and he starts fighting against the many Turkish raids that are going on. Yeah, unfortunately for the Comnenite family, uh, the shining hope for their family's future suddenly got an ear infection <laughs> and died. Ooh, from an ear infection? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I first read that he died on campaign against the Turks. It's like, oh, heroic death, or maybe embarrassing death on the battlefield, but no, even worse, oh. ear infection. It wasn't like he got shot in the head with an arrow and where the entry wound got infected, it wasn't that. <laughs> as he lay on the floor <laughs> yeah. blood pooling someone came yeah. along and went mm. I want to get a tetanus jab on that yeah exactly ooh I can see a maggot oh too mm. late too late he's dead so uh Manuel's dead from an earache that's, that's from earache uh, and then Manzikert happened ah yes uh, the, the two unrelated as far as I can tell mm. uh, I don't think that's <laughs> cause and effect Yes, so Manzikert happens, and uh, Romanos, remember, was usurped by the Ducas family. So the Ducas family are back in power once more. And with Michael Seven and the Ducas family back in charge, as you can imagine, things take a turn for the worse for the Comnenite family, yet again. At least for the mother, Anne, um, and older brother Isaac, possibly Alexis also, uh, because they were too much of a danger to keep around, according to John Ducas and Celis. So they were exiled. Oh. 
And then, as we saw in Michael Seven's episode, uh, he may have been a Ducus, but he was a new generation of Ducus, and he did not want to be told what to do by his uncle John Ducus and Cellus. And under the influence of one of his advisors, Nicephoritzes, Michael Ducus sent out word and returned the Comnenai family back to the capital. So the exile's over. That's okay. We're not really sure why he does this. Yeah, it's quite. Yeah. Could have just been political. Remember, the military are very much in favour of the Comnenai family, so maybe (laughs) uh, there was uh, problems with the military. Maybe he did it just to annoy his uncle John Ducas and Celis, because Michael really did not like his uncle John. Uh, So who knows? But yeah, uh, the Comnenai are back. And Brother Isaac was given command of all the Eastern forces, just like Manuel had been. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, you'll be an upgrade. Yeah, just don't get an earache. Yeah. It'll be fine. Yeah, wear, wear these earmuffs. So Isaac put on his earmuffs and uh, he head off to go and fight the Turkish raids. I, I like to think they had like an old lady who's great with the, uh, uh, what's it called? Where you, Crochet? Like, crocheting, yeah. A yeah. crocheter. Betty, yeah. Betty that followed him around. Just... You, you can't be too careful. No, exactly. Yeah. Do, do earmuffs stop ear infections? Uh, no, not at all, but th- th- they were Romans, they didn't know. But they do stop arrows. Well, they slow them down <laughs> somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> it extends the life of the wearer. <laughs> By milliseconds. <laughs> yes. It's a life extender. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. Isaac is in charge of the forces. He heads off east uh, to go and fight the Turks. And we have actually covered this in Michael's episode, although I was calling Brother Isaac Isaacios in that episode to make it clear I wasn't talking about his uncle Isaac. You probably won't remember because it's so long ago we recorded, uh, and he was only mentioned a couple of times. Uh, But things don't go well for Isaac either. He doesn't get an ear infection, but he probably wished he had. (laughs) Because Ooh. he was captured by Ooh. the Turks. Ooh, torture? Uh, no, no. Oh, okay. You, you don't go torturing rich people. That's not oh. how the world works, Jamie. Oh, of course. No, rich people are worth something. You capture them, you put them in a tent, and then you send word back to Constantinople. We will give you uh, Isaac back if you give us a fortune. So it's humiliation. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. A uh, huge ransom was paid. The Comnenai family had to pay out. Now, we get next to no details, unfortunately, but it would appear Alexios was actually there when this happened. He wasn't at right. home. He would have been old enough uh, to be in the fighting. He was probably following his uh, brother around, learning the ropes at this right. point. But there's no mention of him being captured, so presumably he got away. <laughs> Massive grin on his face. I, brother Isaac's back in the capital, uh, and he is made the Dukes of Antioch. Uh, is that demotion? Oh, uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, it's, it depends what you make of it, but in this day and age, definitely, because Antioch is very debatably in the Empire at this point. Okay. I mean, yes, technically it kind of is in the Empire, but all the land around it's not. It's only because Antioch's got some big-ass walls that stop people going in it. <laughs> Fair enough. Put it this way, the people who are colouring in the maps have to break out two different colours of pens to, to highlight this area at the time. And that's just yeah. annoying. It is. You can understand yeah. why they want to take it back, because I can't be asked yeah. to get my green pen out. Exactly. So uh, Antioch is now uh, under the command of Isaac. It was dangerous, as you can imagine, mm. as uh, any 
two pen city would be. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it was so dangerous, he was captured by the Turks and howled Again? for ransom. Yeah. <laughs> but it's got big walls. You said it had big walls. Yeah, you have to leave the walls occasionally. There was also internal oh. problems within the city. Yeah. The, the patriarch in the city was causing a fuss. It just, yeah, it, it didn't go well. Anyway, good news. The ransom was paid. Isaac is returned. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're so glad to have you back. Now, by this time, uh, Alexios is old enough to be getting out there and leading troops himself. Uh, I mean, his brothers had done such a good job, he surely was going to be a success, <laughs> so he was put yes. in charge of troops. Um, and he was given one job by the Emperor, and one job only. Track down and destroy the Norman mercenary, Rousseau. Remember Rousseau? Oh yes, Rousseau, of course. Yes, I remember. Because he claimed, he claimed to be an emperor, didn't he? Well, uh, he, well, he just claimed a... to be, like, a new king yeah, in the area. Yeah, it. he was trying to carve out a new Norman kingdom for himself. Michael, uh, instead of trying to push back the Turkish raids, became obsessed with Rousseau uh, and trying to destroy him instead. Uh, now, for time reasons, I'm not going to go over this again because we did cover it in Michael's episode, but Alexios was able to capture the Norman, which is great. Or rather, the Turks captured... Rousseau, and then sold him to Alexios. But still, Alexios had had Rousseau, and well, that he, was his job. Yeah, he filled his brief, so... Yeah. yeah, exactly. Now, if you remember, it's about this time that Nikephoros III and Nikephoros Bryennios revolted at the same time, with the revolts of the Nikephori. Yes. Michael asked his current favourite general to go and put down Bryennios. Alexios was able to stop Bryennios's advance, um, but that simply gave time for Nikephoros III to arrive. And then a bit of politics happened, which we have covered, because at some point Alexios and the Komnenai family suddenly back Nikephoros III's usurpation as did pretty much most of the powerful. Uh, Michael wasn't particularly uh, popular, the Dukas family were falling out of favour, and the people were mostly happy to see them fall. Hmm. So Nikephoros becomes emperor in 1078, uh, and in exchange for the support shown, Alexios is put in charge of all the Western forces. So, there you go. Not Eastern this time, yeah. but Alexios is now in charge of half the army. Might be better for you, yeah. It's worked well in the past, so... Yeah. Has he got emittents? Uh, well, well, Betty's with him. Uh, maybe uh, maybe crocheting armour. And anti-capture devices. Yes. I'm not sure what they'd be. No. Crocheted bear traps that he puts around his bed. Yeah, that's probably... Yeah. Yeah, probably that. Yeah. So, Alexios uh, starts making a name for himself, uh, a good name, in fact. Unlike his brothers, he is a successful general. He's now managed oh. to defeat uh, the usurper Bryennios, and Nikephoros starts to rely on him. And Nikephoros is an old man, remember? He's like in his 70s, approaching 80, when he becomes emperor. And he's got no sons. Someone has to be emperor after him. So, Mother Anna and her sons Isaac and Alexios have a bit of a chinwag. They see this as their time to get the throne back. Did they have a good suggestion then for who the heir could be? Well, who who should the heir be? Guessing one of the common lost children. Which one? See, I think they're going to suggest the eldest one. Well, if they discuss it, we don't hear about it. All we know is that the common and I family are plotting. Okay. In fact, they started the plot almost immediately. I'll quote Anna Komnena here. Um, this is the daughter of Alexios who wrote the entire book about her father. They kept their plan underwater, and did not reveal their whole design to anyone, but like fishermen, they were careful not to frighten away their prey. Anna's works 
full of phrases like this. It reads so brilliantly well. If you're into Roman history and you've not read it, go and read it. Uh, just just be aware that it's it's tinsy tiny little bit bias. Yeah. Yeah. So read around it. Uh, but it okay. is an amazing source. Uh, I did not get to use as much of it as I wanted in this episode, which is a shame, uh, just because it's just that's just too much. Uh, but there's a little taste for you. Anyway, uh, they've got a plan. This is the common and I plan. They are going to go through the Empress. What? They're going to go through the Empress. From, from which end? This is a woman named Maria. Right. Who I did mention in the last episode. Uh, Maria was the daughter of a Georgian monarch. Um, so she was a, a Georgian princess. Now, she had been wed to Michael Seven Ducas. So two emperors ago. Yeah. The Ducas family. And with him, she had had a son obviously named Constantine Ducas, because who's not called Constantine, or yeah. like Ephros. Uh, however, to try and keep him clear in our heads, we're going to call him Little Ducas. <laughs> Sounds like okay? <laughs> Little Ducas, little child of Maria and right. Michael Seven. Okay. Okay? With you. Now, Michael Seven, remember, was dethroned by yeah. Nikephros III. And then, to add legitimacy to his claim, Nikephros then wed the very much younger, and also incidentally apparently incredibly beautiful, yeah. Maria. Yeah. So, Maria's no longer Michael's wife, but the new emperor's wife. So, Maria was still the empress. And little Ducas was still around, still in the palace, still heir to the throne and a Ducas. Mm. But, as we saw, Nikephros didn't trust the Ducas family, for obvious reasons, they kept usurping, right. uh, and he went off the idea of having little Ducas as an heir, so he started uh, to, to arrange for that not to happen. And this was the way in for the Komnenai family, because it so happened that brother Isaac was married to a relative of the Empress Maria, so he was able to use that connection to go and talk to her in private. Okay. Ooh. The Komnenai family... Understand your concerns, Isaac said to the Empress. They saw that she was worried for her son, little Ducas, and they would help. I don't know, should a, a Comnenae become the next Emperor? They would honour little Ducas and keep him as Caesar. Mm. Now, you might be wondering why the Comnenae family were able to persuade Maria of yeah. this. Why is it not the Ducas family who were trying this plot? That would make far more sense, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. Well... Probably the Ducas family were trying to do this. It would be surprising if they weren't. Uh, but the Comnenae family had an advantage. A big advantage? Quite, quite literally an advantage. Oh. Because it would appear that Alexios and Maria were getting to know each other. Way! Yeah, they were. Yes, they were. Um, it's not confirmed, but, I mean, they were. We're confirming it. It's a fact. However, this is not all the Comnenae family were doing to ensure that they had power the next chance that they could get. Because around this time, Alexius also gets married. Yeah. Yeah. To the 11-year-old Irene Ducana. 11-year-old? Ele yeah. This, this yeah. is one of these marriages, though, that's sort of like, you're 11, so we're officially married, but we'll live apart until you're... Very, very much a political 60. marriage. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't surprise me the 11-year-old is what caught your eye uh, there, or your ear, because that name was Irene Ducana, as in the feminine version of Ducas. Oh. Oh, yes. Yeah, Alexios marries 
Adukas girl. It's like Romeo now, and Juliet. Well, annoyingly, despite all the sources we have for this time, I could not figure out how this happened. Now, Irene was the granddaughter of the ever-present John Ducas. So this is John Ducas's granddaughter. Right. Uh, so was this him working in the background? It could well be. He, he's got his fingers in all the political pies. Uh, now, remember, he had been monked by his nephew, the Emperor Michael. So maybe this was John Ducas uniting the feuding families so they could concentrate on getting back into power. Because right now, neither of the families are in power. Well, do you know what I think? I think it's uh, two households, both alike in dignity, in fair... Constantinople. Constantinople. <laughs> Where we lay our scene. From ancient grudge break a new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. Two star-crossed lovers, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> a little bit like Romeo and Juliet, apart from the yeah. fact that there appears to have been very little love there. And also, obviously, uh, Irene is significantly younger than Juliet by two years. Yeah. So, the families are united. Uh, this is, is what I'm trying to say. One person did not like this idea, however. Yeah. This was... Alexios's mother, matriarch of the family, Anna de Lesner. Uh, she was clinging on to her hatred of the Ducas family, and she was not impressed at all. Uh, but apparently it went ahead anyway. Uh, so, families united uneasily, but this only made Alexios's promise to the Empress Maria that little Ducas would be safe even better. Um, <laughs> after all, he said, whilst smoking in bed afterwards, <laughs> my 11-year-old <laughs> wife is a Ducas. <laughs> Awkward. Um, oh, anyway, oh. as uh, as Maria and Alexios became closer, they came up with a plan. Maria would adopt Alexios. This You're pulling just, a face. Yeah, it's getting a bit sort of Freudian. It's getting messy. That that yeah. family tree's starting to weep slightly, isn't it? <laughs> um, but if you think yes. about it, I mean, okay, there was only a few years uh, age difference between Maria and Alexios, but... That doesn't matter when it comes to adopting. And what happens mm. if he's adopted is that he becomes the son of the Empress. In many ways, some would claim that that meant he was heir. Yes. Son of the wife of the Emperor? Yeah. yeah? Okay, yeah. so it's just tightening those uh, bonds once so, more. So it's a flawless idea, then? Yeah, it's, it's, again, it's chipping away. It's like we need to wait for the right opportunity and let's just keep putting pieces on the board and let's hope something shifts so we can make a move. Now, whilst all this is happening, Alexis is still going out and fighting all of Night Kefiros 3's battles, uh, which we covered in Night Kefiros's episode, so I'm not going to go over them now, but remember, he did the clever trick of pretending to be ambushed, but then ambushing the ambushers. He left his friend, the monk Little John, in a tent to say sorry he's not oh, here. Yeah. Yeah. So he's doing lots of fighting, he's becoming better as a general, mm. uh, He's becomes by far the most important general in the Empire, whilst at the same time having fun fun times with the Empress and uh, generally plotting to coup at the right time. Sounds a pretty uh, good life. Yeah. A couple of years like this pass. They bide their time, and then in 1081, things come to a head because a member of the Ducas family named Constantius revolted, uh, but his troops didn't follow him. Remember, that was the really embarrassing one where he <laughs> ran around saying, with me, lads, and everyone went, eh. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm not convinced. Yeah, the revolt fell apart, uh, probably to the relief of Alexios, because he would have had to have decided whether to fight against the Ducas or to join them to help put a Ducas in charge. And that makes it more messy. Yeah. You lose your so, link. 
yeah, this this was a huge relief to the Carmen and I family that that fell apart. Uh, and then, yet another coup, a man named Melesinos revolted. This was also tricky for Alexios, because Melesinos happened to be his brother-in-law. Yeah, that's not great. No. It's like, I want to revolt, not you. <laughs> but he wasn't going to fight his brother-in-law, and he just refused to fight. And as covered in Nikephros' episode, the emperor was so old and politically weak by this point, he was unable to punish Alexios. He was too popular and a sort of heir, so he just got away with saying, nope, not going to fight that one. And also, reports of the Norman super-general Robert Guscard. Reports of him planning to invade started filtering through. All of this happened in quick succession, so the Comnenai brothers decide this is time to act. Things are going to go out of control here. We've got several usurpations and invasion going on. Let's let's try and claim the throne now before it's too late. So, they start to pull the troops together, uh, showing anyone who asks too many questions that this is routine troop movement, honest. We're getting ready to fight the Normans. Uh, yeah, that's why we're pulling all the troops to the capital. Yes, all the ones under the command of Alexios. Yes, that's why. <laughs> In fact, Nikephros was advised that Alexios was plotting against him, so Nikephros summoned his general to, to him, and Alexios assured the old man that it's fine, nothing to worry about. Anyone who thought that there was anything unusual about the troop movements were, and I quote here, misled by mere appearance. <laughs> Which is a oh. phrase that I want to use. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> My last observation failed? Well, you were misled by mere appearance. This this body? Oh, no, no, you, you're misled by mere appearance. <laughs> yeah. I was merely helping him out of the manhole. Yes. Uh, I was merely batting a, a fly off his forehead with his crowbar. <laughs> yeah, uh, apparently this worked. Uh, <laughs> wow. But... Well, only sort of. Now, Kefros <laughs> starts to become suspicious. Alexios and Isaac uh, realise that they need to, to act quickly. Their mother, Anna, starts pulling strings within the city uh, and ended up having to flee to the Hajj Sophia to make sure her and many of the Commonwealth family were safe. Yeah. Meanwhile, Alexios and Isaac uh, rushed to the stables, cut the hamstrings of all the horses, bar two, and legged it. Yeah, some good old horse slashing yet again so cruel. just I don't know, tie their legs together no, you could undo them, couldn't you <laughs> um, I don't know shackle, a metal shackle I mean they'd untie them eventually, yeah. but take a while Yeah, to get away persuade the horses to join a union and get them to strike there we go Yeah, there you go but not before you've got on the horse you're trying to take. Yeah. So you'd have to, like, as you're galloping away over the, your shoulder, form a horse union. <laughs> what do you say, horses? Nay. See, they agree. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, they, they decide on the old slashy-slashy, stabby-stabby. Oh, cool. um, anyway, they cool. go and join their troops, which have conveniently all been arranged nearby. Can you just put a load of oil on the horses? Sorry, I'm fixating on this now. <laughs> Make them really slippery so you can get on them. Shave the horses and oil them. Too embarrassed. Too embarrassed to leave. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> paint, face paint, on the horses' faces, the face of a cat, so everyone thinks they're just a bunch of cats. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. There are options. There were. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Isaac and Alexios leave the city at speed while shouting over their shoulders how to form a union at some horses looking like cats. Um, and they join their troops 
And then they send word to none other than John Ducas. That's right, he's ah. still in the story. Wow. Now quite old and monked, but send word to John Ducas they do. It was time to reap the reward of marrying the Ducas girl, who now, by the way, is around 15, so a bit of time has passed. Yeah. The messenger arrived at the Ducas family home. Uh, apparently the grandson, or a grandson of John Ducas, who was a small boy, heard the message and rushed and woke up his grandfather to tell him that the Comlinai family were revolting. And I'll quote... But the latter, standard by the words, gave the child a box on the ears uh-huh. and advised him not to talk nonsense and sent him off. So that was the reaction of John Ducas to the nice. revolt. Very nice. <laughs> Don't talk nonsense, boy. <laughs> Clip. Yeah. Uh-huh. However, the messenger then was able to deliver the message personally rather than the little boy running ahead of him. It's Roger. Uh, no, no, because Roger's retired, remember? And is currently establishing the Norman dynasty. Ah, so I thought we'd be doing both. That's, that's yeah. fine. No, so it's... Who, who's, uh, who's in the mail? One of Roger's apprentices. There was one once. Yeah, Roger. Like way back. Way back in... I think it was Justinian II's episode. He had an apprentice. Roger the mailman. Maybe his name's... No, no, his name's not Roger. His no. name is... Barney. Bar- Barney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> That's a mail for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, he d- Barney delivers the, the message. And I'll quote the message uh, here. Um, or at least I'm quoting Anna's paraphrasing of the message. From the Common and I Brothers to John Ducas. We, on our side, have prepared a right good meal. Not wanting in rich <laughs> condiments. But if you, on your side, wish to share this banquet, you must come with all speed to partake in it. See, I, I I love the fact there was probably a, a deep meaning to that that quotation, but I'm just just focusing on that there was a right good meal. There was a right good meal. Uh, <laughs> Proper good it was. <laughs> well good. <laughs> yeah, I really hope John Ducas took this literally and went excellent food. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Either either the Common and I brothers liked a metaphor or. It was some kind of code, although you would have thought they're past codes by this point. Yeah, it thinks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, once the the horses are setting up their drums and uh, yeah. making the placards, yeah. you know, you, you don't need coded messages anymore. No, the revolts you, on. Yeah, it's happening. Anyway, uh, John Ducas set off with members of his family to meet the uh, Common and I brothers. Like I say, by this point, it's very clear the revolt is on. The rumours spreading. However, it's not clear exactly who was revolting. Yes, the Komlenai brothers, but who does that mean? Who's going to be the emperor? It's time to make a decision. So do the brothers each have a decision between them? Yes. So I now feel they're just going to butt heads. It's like, it should be me. No, it should be me. Right? Well, in a way, it should be Isaac. He's the older brother. Yeah. However, Alexios has three things going for him. He's younger, better, and he's porking the... Empress. Oh, you got you got two out of three there. Okay. Yeah, the yeah. younger doesn't help him. Um, number one, he was the public hero general. His yeah. brother was the twice-captured embarrassment. Yeah. Uh, he was a general who had won several battles by this point and put down a couple of usurpations. He had support from the troops. Yeah. Uh, less publicly than this, but also very obviously, he was the one married to the Ducas family. Him in charge meant a Ducas Empress. So that meant the powerful Ducas family would support Alexios. Why would they support Isaac? Yeah. 
Uh, and then, privately, uh, like you've mentioned, Alexios was also doing the current Empress, and who knows what opportunities that would bring. Uh, let's keep that between me and you, Isaac, but come on. Yeah. Put your hand up if you're currently, you know, with the Empress. Oh, don't put your and hand Isaac, up. Don't put your hand up. I, I, Isaac just had to stand there. He thought about putting his hand up, but thought it was the wrong time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so it was decided. Uh, Isaac publicly proclaimed his brother as emperor. Mm. So they didn't really butt heads. Isaac realised he didn't have the stronger claim. There was no point. Uh, he, he would support his brother. So there we go. Uh, then a messenger arrived. It was from their brother-in-law, uh, Melesinos. Uh He was revolting, remember? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the message was kind of, uh, hang on, I'm revolting. What are you two doing? <laughs> P.S. See you at Christmas. Yeah. Melesnos had heard about Alexios's claim and realised immediately that this is going to be a problem. So he had a proposal. How about he, Melesnos, and Alexios become joint emperors? Um... There was a pause after the messenger delivered that. Uh, Alexios and Isaac made the messengers wait overnight. Uh-huh. A significant pause. And then, the next day, told them that Melesnos, I suppose, can be Caesar if he wants. The messengers, realising that time was important and Alexios could just take everything, uh, reluctantly agreed, but asked for it to be written down officially. Like, with purple ink and everything. Yeah. With oaths. So, yeah, it's fine, but we really need this in writing. Alexios agreed, and then gave the job to his scribe, a man named Manganes. He also gave a secret order to Manganis. Take your time. Yeah. <laughs> Over the next few days, Manganis delayed, telling the ambassadors first that it was too dark to write the letter, but he'd do it the next day. The next day he told them he was too tired. He'd spent a long time writing other letters, but I'll get on it right away tomorrow. Brilliant. On the third day, he told them, good news, I've written the letter. And I quote, but a spark had fallen on what he had written and burnt it. Damn. <laughs> Damn. Uh, the next day, he lost his inks. Oh, what the, well, it just happened. And then the pen went missing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's what happened just... when you get a squid to get you, like, they used live squids. Well, yeah, 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 exactly. And the squid ran away. Well, it didn't run, squelched away. Grabbed yeah. the pen as it went away. Yeah, it happens. Caught up with the octopus, tried to get it to, to produce more ink, but it was hanging around with a bunch of cats that looked suspiciously like horses and refusing to do any work. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Revolt! Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, the delay kept on going. Um, Sounds like that... me trying to give a lesson plan. This is brilliant. <laughs> yes. That, that story doesn't go much further, by the way. I just really like the fact that during all the chaos of a revolt, there's a scribe just making up stories for why he hadn't done his work. Uh, because ultimately, after the coup, Melesnos does become Caesar. Um, but Alexios works around it by giving his brother Isaac a new title that essentially meant better than Caesar. <laughs> Caesar uh, plus. <laughs> yeah. Um, Caesar squared. <laughs> yes. So as we saw uh, in the last episode, with support from the uh, Ducas family, Alexios was able to simply walk into the capital. Nikephros then contacted Alexios and asked to be allowed to retire. Uh, John Ducas, bitter with Nikephros, still retorted that he should have asked before they took the city. Uh, and there you go, Alexios was made emperor in 1081. Wow. However, this was not the end of the plotting, because Alexios then put in to motion 
part two of the coup. Oh yes, there's a part two. But why? He's already emperor. There's nothing. If he's cooing, he's literally cooing himself. Mm, not quite. He's the emperor, but he's the emperor with whose backing? Oh, the Ducas. Exactly, and Ooh, he doesn't okay. want to be the emperor with the powerful Ducas family still having ties to his family. He wants complete control. Fair enough. And in the background for the last few years, he'd really managed to set up a good, solid relationship with the current Empress Maria. Yeah. So, why not marry her instead? Cut ties with the Ducas family. I mean, yes, he was married to the, the Ducas girl, but <sighs> divorces happen. Or accidents. Or <laughs> accidents, yeah. So, uh, to begin with, uh, when he was coronated, uh, he just made sure that his wife, Irene, was not involved. Right. <laughs> yeah. This deeply angered the Ducas family. Uh, Irene needed to be crowned Augusta and needed to be crowned now. Remember, uh, the Empress was a significant role at this point. It wasn't just the wife of the Emperor. The Augusta had actual defined roles. And, and there'd be a chance that you could be Empress as well, or Emperor, if the, you know... Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Not only that, uh, Alexios moved into the Upper Palace, and also Maria, who obviously lived in the Upper Palace, was not asked to move out. So essentially, he moved in with his mistress, the old Empress. That was cut slightly. Irene was sent to live in the Lower Palace with her mother. Again, the Ducas family not happy. Uh, now, John Ducas saw Alexios's mother, Anna, all over this. That old bat was always plotting against the downfall of my family kind of thing. Yeah. But in reality, it was probably Alexios doing this on his own. Uh, he wanted his mistress as the Empress. He didn't particularly like Irene. Uh, he didn't want the Ducas family involved. This would just be better. Yeah. Uh, but he had overreached. The Ducas family were powerful. Uh, he had gathered their support for a reason. And also, the Ducas family currently had the ear of the patrician, a man named Cosmos, which is a brilliant name. <laughs> Cosmos was not happy when he learnt that the new emperor was hoping for Cosmos to resign so someone else could be the patriarch. No, I can't! Mercury is rising! <laughs> well, no, he did, he did shout something out, but uh, oh. not about Mercury. Oh. He proclaimed, By Cosmos! <laughs> Because apparently, during this time, uh, it was common, if you wanted to exclaim, to exclaim your own name, which is brilliant, and that needs to come back. I guess it got away from, like, saying, like, my god or my Jones. Well, yeah, it did. It puts me in mind of, and any uh, Rex Factor listeners can uh, do the research, because I'll admit I... I got no further than just vaguely thinking. But we're around the same time as Manny, who used to shout, Manny, as he'd storm into uh, in, into battle, uh, which uh, is just amazing. Uh, and maybe that, that, maybe that comes from this, uh, but who knows? Um, Jamie! So, so, someone, someone contact Graham and ask him. Uh, anyway. Oh, uh, bye, Jamie. That's a great fact. Yeah. Anyway, Cosmos said, By Cosmos, if Irene is not crowned by my own hands, I will never resign. So, in other words, if you want a patriarch who is not in favour of the Ducas family, uh, then put 
Irene on the throne. Uh, with the might of the church and the weight of the Duca's family, and the public sympathetic to this slighted teenage girl, Alexios realised he wasn't going to win this battle and relented. Oh. Irene was crowned. Maria was moved into the nearby monastery that Constantine IX had built for his mistress. Remember? Constantine IX turned up and went, can my mistress move in if I build a monastery next door for her to live in? Yeah, and, uh, yeah the, the one yeah. with the connecting uh, yeah, 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 corridor to my bedroom. Yeah, yeah the, the one with the hidden door. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, so there you go. Irene moved into the palace. She is now empress. And Alexios turned to the affairs of the empire. And now we get to cover Alexios's reign. As mentioned before, due to his daughter uh, writing an extensive biography on him, we get far more detail than we are going to cover in this episode. Essentially, from now on, it is just highlights. But go, go and read more stuff uh, if you're interested. There's lots of great stuff going on at this time. Uh, but let's dive in, because uh, things aren't looking good. Uh, but to understand why, we need to understand the Normans a little bit better. And also the horse revolt's still going on, so... That is still going on, yeah. Uh, but uh, that doesn't get solved for about 200 years, so oh, we'll no. cover that, that in a later episode. Nay to work! Around 50 years previously, the Normans were increasingly being hired as mercenaries in South Italy, aiding the Lombards who were fighting the Empire. Over time, the Normans came to the area in increasing numbers, looking to make a fortune and to carve out some land. Around 20 years previously, a very talented Norman general named Robert Guscard, or Robert the Crafty, huh. uh, started to make his mark. Uh, we're, we're talking sort of general of the generation kind of person here. Now, we have come across Robert Guscard before because we have mentioned his brother several times in this podcast. Because his brother is Roger. Roger? Yeah, yeah. This is the Roger who takes over Sicily. Oh. So. Yeah, uh, Robert Guscard is the one the history books always pay attention to, but we know, actually, it was Roger who was the real powerhouse of the family, uh, and he taught uh, Robert everything he knew. But Roger liked to take a bit of a backseat. This is his retirement, after all. Well, he's seen so much as well. He has, yeah. Anyway, Robert started taking land in South Italy, uh, to begin with off the Romans, but then just against anyone who was nearby. Uh, and he carves out a, a little bit of a kingdom for himself. By 1075, Robert owns pretty much all of the south of Italy. As briefly mentioned before, Michael Severn, in an attempt to stop the push of this very capable general, proposed a marriage. Michael's brother to Robert's daughter. Robert didn't answer. Man. So Michael went one further. Okay, fine. Your daughter can marry my son and heir, and this is none other than little Constantine. Oh, yeah. Your daughter, Robert, marry little Constantine. Little Constantine Ducas. Robert Guscard accepts this. Brilliant. His daughter, the Empress of the Roman Empire. Fantastic. That sounds good to me. But then, as we see things unfold, Nikephros III, Kuz, takes the throne. Uh, Robert's daughter, who was in Constantinople by this point, because she moved over immediately as soon as the engagement happened, uh, she was just neatly put away in a monastery somewhere, nice and safe. Uh, but the wedding's off. Robert oh. saw this as an excuse that he needed. He figured that he was the best general of the age, and he probably could take the empire that had recently been cut in half by the Turks. Well, it's quite vulnerable at the moment, I guess. So. Oh, yes, very much so. <laughs> so he puts in motion's plans to invade. The Emperor Nikephros soon received a report that Robert was working with none other than the monk Michael Seven. 
remember Michael Seven wasn't killed, he was monked. Yeah. Uh, but this isn't true. It turns uh, out that Robert had just found a monk who was willing to pretend to be the ex-emperor in order to gain support. Uh, or at least that's what all the history books say. I mean, okay. I'm happy to just go go with it and say, yeah, it was Michael. Uh, yeah. Prove me wrong. <laughs> uh, and then Alexios's coup happened. Uh, Alexios becomes emperor... And Robert's advisor suggested that he halt the invasion. We don't need to invade the uh, Roman Empire anymore because Alexios is now in charge and he's fairly sympathetic to, to our plight. Maybe he will offer us something. Uh, Robert was outraged by this suggestion. No, the plan is we go in there, we smash heads together, and I take the throne of the Roman Empire. So, the plans continue. Alexios soon hears that Robert and his 27-year-old son, Bayamond, was invading. Uh, make a note of Bayamond, he comes into this story quite a bit. Apparently he was a giant of a man. I'm thinking of Beowulf now. But... Yeah, yeah, why not? Um, anyway, they cross the Adriatic Sea, they head to the Albanian coast, modern day, and uh, things are looking bad for Alexios. So first of all, he sends word to the Doge of Venice. Doge? Yeah, the, the, essentially the Duke, the, the leader, the man right. in charge. I, I, it sounds like Duke, so I imagine it's a Yeah, a it's root word that. stems from the same place. Yeah if I remember correctly. But yeah, Venice hasn't quite become the powerhouse uh, that it would become, but it's getting there. Remember, after Attila the Hun had uh, sacked uh, Aquileia, people around there took to the lagoons for safety, and over the past 600 years, they have managed to to really pull things together around there. It's looking quite nice. Um, Yeah, Venice is, is... it's like I say, it's not the powerhouse it's going to become, but it's getting close. It's got a decent fleet now, and it can raise an army. And understandably, Venice was worried about the Normans controlling the Adriatic waters, and were more than happy to help. So they sent a fleet. Greek fire, which the Venetians had access to, and the weather all but destroyed the Norman fleet. But the army had already landed, and Robert and Beaumont managed to land and started their invasion. So Alexios leads their forces out personally to meet them. Now, we do have some details on this battle, but for time, all I'm going to say is that Alexios loses. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, summarise it. You weren't, cr- you weren't cruel with that assessment. I think you were perfectly fair. He lost. I think so. He lost. To hugely simplify it, the Varangian <laughs> Guard, uh, remember the Vikings? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're not actually Vikings anymore. Yes, they are. Don't take that away from me. It's all I have. No, the Varangian Guard are now Englishmen, mostly Anglo-Saxons who, uh, after 1066, were looking for work. So they headed to the Roman Empire and signed up for the Varangian Guard. Tell you how any job's going. <laughs> oh, Blight is a bit bare at the moment. I could do with a jolly bit of work. Spit spot. Well, see, now this is confusing because that's our Norman accent. And that's who they're fighting. No, the Norman accent was a bit like, hello, this is hello. That's a very good point. Yeah, I mean, they're close, so they're going to be similar <laughs> accents, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it's confusing for the non-listener, I get that. But I, I think yeah. there's a, a, clear, <laughs> a clear separating line between... There is definitely a separating line Normans there. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, the Varangian Guard uh, got cut off from the rest of the army and were utterly wiped out. Oh. Alexios' forces, seeing this, just broke. Alexios himself found himself in danger as three spearmen managed to charge at him. And Ooh. in fact, I'll quote here, 
The first missed the Emperor because of his horse swerved a little. The second man's spear the Emperor thrust aside with his sword, and then bracing his arm struck him on the collarbone and severed the arm from the body. Then the third aimed straight at his face, but Alexios, being of firm and steadfast mind, was not wholly dismayed. (laughs) 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 Just a little bit miffed. But with his quick wit, grasped in the flash of an instant the thing to do, and when he saw the blow coming, threw himself backwards onto the horse's tail. So, did a kind of Matrix slow-motion bullet move thing. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Then, apparently, the spear grazed his head, tearing the helmet from his head. Uh, But he survived. It was close, but he survived. He managed to get free, but he had lost. Not just the battle, but a good chunk of his forces, including the Varangian Guard. Most of Northern Greece fell to the Normans shortly afterwards. Wow. They're quite a force, aren't they? Oh, yeah, yeah. The Normans are, are serious. Well, they've got an empire now. Yeah, and considering the Turks had just chopped the empire in half because they've lost all of Anatolia, they've now lost a significant chunk of the Balkans. Uh, The empire is rapidly shrinking into nothing. Uh, Essentially, they've got some of the coast of Anatolia. Uh, They've sort of got the area around Antioch, sort of, but it's still coloured in with two pens. They've got the land to the left of Constantinople, up to the Danube, and most of modern Greece. And that's it. That is the mighty Roman Empire. Fortunately, Alexios has a plan, because there was another Roman Emperor around at this point who may be able to help. And that, of course, is the Western Holy Roman Emperor. Hmm. Currently a man named Henry IV. Uh, Alexios uh, sent a simple question. Admittedly, I'm paraphrasing. If I send you a disgusting amount of gold (laughs) will you help rein in this Norman invader Uh, Henry (laughs) replied yes (laughs) short version of that Henry caused enough fuss in Western Europe that Robert was forced to go back and deal with it make sure his holdings in South Italy was safe so this gave Alexios enough time what he needed was money and he needed money fast so where do you get money if you need it quickly uh, you invade places. Yeah, he he hasn't got. The f- that's why he needs money oh. to raise forces. Oh, taxation. Yeah, but he's a newly couped emperor. He doesn't want to destable IOUs. Um, that's not really money. Well, no, nor is making like wooden money. <laughs> His brother Isaac has an idea because he's back in the capital, running the city at this time, along with their mother, who's very much in the thick of things. And they remember that when the great Heraclius faced the annihilation of the empire, oh, Heraclius. the church, yeah, the church melted down all their gold and gave it to the state. Oh. So <laughs> they said, pointedly at the patriarch. Uh, yes, uh, unlike before, when the church went, oh, the writing's really on the wall. Fine, fine, take the gold, please save everything. Uh, the church were less keen this time, um, but Alexios just ordered it to happen sorry but good good there is no <laughs> way it needs that much gold there is no yeah. reason at all well there, there was enough people thinking that that this was able to happen so they managed Fantastic. to raise money from the church now robert's gone he, he's back back in italy but his son behemont is still advancing uh, alexios lost a couple more battles to behemont uh, until one day he was finally able to get the drop on the norman Right. Uh, he gave Melesnos, remember his brother-in-law who's yeah. the Caesar? Uh, he gave Melesnos his own standard. 
So here, hold this, Melesinos. What, the standard that says I'm the Emperor? Yeah, don't get any ideas. Um, but hold that standard, and then when we're next in battle, what I want you to do is as soon as Beaumont fights, I want you to run away. And it worked. Okay. Beaumont, yeah, Beaumont, seeing the standard flee the battle, thinks he's got Alexios on the run, and follows. Uh... Meanwhile, Alexios, who was hiding around the corner because all battlefields have corners, yeah. swept in and destroyed the Norman camp, which you, was yeah. left unguarded. Because in my head, I always imagine battles on massive, empty fields. So, like, where do they hide? I know uh, that's ridiculous uh, what I'm thinking. I get that. Hill, hills and forests and yeah. uh, They're probably a lot caves. bigger than I'm imagining. It's not yeah. like a school field, is it? It's probably a bit bigger than that. <laughs> no, it's pro- probably a bit bigger than that. So, on top of this uh, important victory, but also several Venetian victories, because remember, the uh, Venetians were also fighting at the same time, uh, this meant that after a couple of years, Alexios had managed to regain everything that they'd lost in the Balkans. So he's managed to push them back to the sea, essentially. Uh, but Robert wasn't done. He'd settled things in Italy once more, and he'd built an even stronger army. And remember, it's Robert who is the genius general, not his son. And Alexios just about managed to beat the son. Yeah. So now Robert's coming with a bigger army. This isn't looking good. Not only that, Robert got his brother to come along too. So Roger's there. Hello, sir. <laughs> That's his evil voice. Oh, yes. So they invade in 1084. But fortunately, something else invaded at the same time. Typhoid. Uh, ooh. Oh, yes. Ooh. Typhoid swept through the area at the same time, and before Robert could attempt again to take the Empire, he suddenly became ill and died. Roger. Robert. Roger oh, thank doesn't. Goodness. Roger just keeps going. Yeah. Ooh. He never dies. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the Roman world breathed a huge sigh of relief, but Alexios couldn't rest, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Because, yes, the Norman threat had uh, been put on hold, uh, but the Bekenigs are back. Um, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, the northern barbarians of the day. They had united with a uh, heretical sect of Christianity that was growing rapidly in the area called the Bogomils. That's not a name to be proud of. <laughs> it, it makes me think <laughs> of, like, underground mammals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I imagine them scurrying up from little holes. There, there was a show around in the like early to mid nineties where this weird—it's like a TV show, very British. This like weird thing used to climb out of like a gravelly ground, like a puppet, a brown thing. I don't even know what it was. That's no, what it reminds I. me of. I'm not describing <laughs> it well, but that's 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 exactly what it was. A gravelly thing that came out the ground. Well, and it came out of a gravelly ground. This is this puppet, like a brown thing. These are talk. I, I've got memories of it being like a... a you know, was a, this a TV show that was on the cardboard TV in the corner of your room? Daddy? You <laughs> said we had a TV. He said he was in colour. He said he'd upgraded. He said 3D was new. <laughs> he said football matches always have like those little <laughs> semicircular discs on the bottom. Oh, Sabutio. <laughs> Is Sabutio still a thing? Why would it be his sh- I don't terrible. know. <laughs> I almost said a bad word then. <laughs> you, you'd get your, your pitch out and it was all folded, so yeah. it was like a cross between a, a board game, a football game, and sort of mountaineering, as your little yeah. Sabutio players had to try and get up the little hill and down yeah, it's like his speed bumps on a football pitch. Yes. Oh, anyway, we're not talking about Sputio, no. we're talking about the Bogomils. Yes, we are. Uh, the, 
Um, the Bogomils, they believe that Satan created the material world and Ooh. everything in it. So therefore, everything physical was evil. God created the spiritual world. So everything that was good is spiritual. So they are literally going against the Bible. Hence the heretical sect, part of the heretical sect of the Bogomils. What? They're, they were heretics. I mean, they didn't well, think was... they were. They thought everyone else was going against the Bible. Yeah, but they, but... They, were going, they, were the, yeah, but they were going to... Yeah, but they, it doesn't make sense. Jamie, Jamie, how long have we been covering the internal arguments of Christianity? Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> Anyway, let me continue. We've gone from people at poles to believing that literally every atom is satanical. Well, you'll be pleased to know that there's no arguments over whether Jesus is God or God is Jesus or whether he was begotten or forgotten or whatever. But how none many wills has he on. got? However, <laughs> well, no, no, exactly. None of that. <laughs> However, there is a problem because Jesus obviously was a physical person. You could prod Ooh, him and he'd say, ow. Yeah. Well, that means well, Jesus is evil. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Jesus can't be evil, so it's fine, because Jesus, right, get this, they said, <laughs> as everyone was gathered around. So Jesus is part of the Trinity, but he's not the second person of the Trinity. Instead, the second part of the Trinity is actually the spoken word that was spoken at the start of creation. I hope you left that pause in. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Obviously, there could be none of that kind of talk, according to Alexios and the Patriarch and pretty much uh, anyone who wasn't a Bogomil. Uh, <laughs> in other more practical terms, the reason why the Bogomils were being persecuted at this time uh, is the Bogomils rejected the wealth and the pomp of the Orthodox Church. They were saying very loudly things like, why are you hoarding all the wealth? Wealth is physical and evil. That's probably the only thing they said that was accurate. <laughs> I'm sensing a lot of hatred against, against the Bogomils from you, Jamie. No, no, well, I don't, no that, was, that, was a, that was a compliment. Yeah. Oh, you, you're okay with that part, okay. Yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah. Um, why, why are they hoarding all the wealth? That's, that seems ridiculous. So. Yeah, uh, the Bogomils encouraged people that they could worship without paying money to the church, or in fact, without churches at all. You can just worship wherever you want. <gasps> now, obviously, there could be none of that kind of talk, according to Alexios and the Patriarch. Is this like early Protestantism? Yeah, obviously there are differences, but yes, it's that it's, kind it's of... It's heading in that direction, isn't it? It is a, a sect, uh, it, it's a faction of the church or a denomination of the church that have gone against the the Orthodox, quite literally. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, a crackdown starts and the Bogomils start to revolt and they revolt in Thrace and the Bikenics were raiding at the time, and they went, should we join forces, since we're all fighting uh, the Romans at the moment? Um, so yeah, they aided each other and generally made Alexius's life difficult. He led an army to deal with it, but just like with the Normans, it started with little success. He failed to push back the Bikenics. Uh, there was a large number of them, and he was forced into a retreat. Very embarrassingly, uh, in order to get back to the capital, he had to sign a peace treaty with the Bikenics. Essentially, he had to pay them off Ooh. a huge amount of money. Ooh. This does not go down well in the capital at all, as you can imagine. No. But at least the problem went away for a short amount of time because the Bikenics left for about three years. And then the Turks decided it was time to poke the empire once more. Because they've just been sitting back and laughing for quite some time, <laughs> and also dealing with their own internal problems. Because you might be wondering, why haven't they just overrun the empire? So, Rob, why haven't they just been overrunning the empire at this time? Because they seem to take Anatolia with relative ease. 
so why did they stop? Well, the Turks had run into the age-old problem of taking too much land too quickly. Their empire was now vast, and it had started to fracture. They now controlled land with various different cultural and religious leanings. It was mostly Islamic, but they now had huge sections of Christianity. They had Jerusalem, and they had large portions of Jewish and Bogomils, and all the other types of religions were around. As per usual, empires that very quickly gain land uh, start to fracture quite quickly, and this is what's going on here. The most important part for our story is the fact that the area that the empire lost due to the Turks in Anatolia has now become the independent Sultanate of Rum. R-U-M, with a little hat on top of the U. Uh, this is it's a different spelling of Rome. It was the Sultanate oh. of Rome, uh, because obviously it's the Roman land that they'd just taken. Uh, but I'm going to call it Rom, just to make it very clear that it is the uh, Turkish-controlled Anatolia. Pirate land. Uh. Yeah. Um, it's probably not pronounced Rom, because it's got a little hat on the oh. U, uh, but I Rome. like it calling it... Yeah, it's Rom. Uh, but uh, I'm going to call it Rom, uh, because I like Rom. Anyway, the Saljuk commander, uh, Suleiman, had declared independence in 1077, said, fine, this is the Sultanate of Rome and I'm in charge. Uh, and then he died in 1085, and the Sultanate fell under the rule of the Sultan of Syria. However, a Turkish general in the Rum area wanted to make something of himself, and his name was Chaka. Chaka contacted the Bekenics. If you invade the Romans from the north, and I invade the Romans from the east, the empire would surely fall. Let's coordinate. So, in 1090, the Bekenigs invaded once more. A huge force this time, if we can believe the sources, which obviously we can't. It was 80,000 strong. That's a big group of people. This is wipe out the empire's forces coming from the north. Yeah. But what was even worse is that at the same time, the Turks started invading all the Greek islands. Good holiday destinations, I don't blame them. Yeah. Now, in the past, to help the fact that their army was far smaller than it used to be, Alexios had been hiring Turkish mercenaries to help fight the Normans, but obviously he can't do that now because the Turks are in cahoots with the Bekenics. The empire looks smaller and smaller, the end is looking near once more. So, what to do? you got to hire people. Who, though? Vangarian. Vangarian. More British people. No, no, they got wiped out. They got wiped out. Well, it can't be the Bekenics, can it? No. Oh, to be fair, you've got the answer right, and it's also unfair that I'm trying to get you to guess, because you won't guess, because it's a new group of people. But yes, he manages to find some people to hire. Um, he Spanish. uses uh, No, no, not Spanish. Portuguese. No. Norwegian. No. Uh, oh, but closer. Vikings. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. <laughs> no, I might not get the correct name, but I think I might get the right region. Um, Netherlandish. Dutch. No, no, you're getting further called? away. You're getting further away. Oh. Yeah. Um, French. Further away. Oh. Getting colder. Finnish. You're closer, Russian. but not huge. Yes, you're in the right area, but not the Rus. Uh, but I'll give you Russian just because you're in the right area, uh, yeah, sort do. of. Uh, <laughs> by the right area, I mean north of the Black Sea. Uh, <laughs> Japan. <laughs> yeah, what, what he'd done, uh, he'd done the age-old find another group of people who did not like the people you were fighting and get them to fight the people you were fighting for you. Seems... It needs a snappier name, but uh, yeah. it, it works well. 
Uh, Alexios sent word to the Cumans. That was my next guess. By the well, way. yeah, uh, the Cumans. Uh, also, um, we've referred to them as the Scythians before. They're a tribe of people from the steppes. Uh, they were most likely related to the Pekenics in the distant past, but essentially nomadic people who had moved over the north of the Black Sea and were starting to enter into Europe, okay. just as many, many, many different tribes of people had done before. Uh, but yeah, the Cumans are up. And uh, yeah, Alexios used up more of the treasury that they'd managed to build from uh, just ripping it out of the church yeah. to persuade the Cumans to join him to defeat the Pekenics. And he paid enough for around 40,000 Cumans to rock up. That's a lot. That's a lot, but it's still only half of the mechanics. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it is an estimated double of what Alexius could raise. All Alexius can raise at this point is 20,000. That's how much trouble they're in. So Alexios leads these forces with his own, so roughly 60,000, towards the Bacchanic army. Now the Bacchanics, who were a travelling nomadic um, community, not just an army, so their families were there as well, and they thought themselves too big to be troubled by much. Uh, we're, we're a huge force, so we don't need to be on guard all the time, because who's going to dare mess with us? Oh, there's 60,000 armed men over there, they said, just before they said, gurgle, gurgle, my spleen. Oh. Yeah, uh, they were very, very surprised when an army almost their size suddenly turned up and just ripped through them. It was a massacre, utter massacre. The Bacchanics were practically wiped out as a, a race of people. Oh. Uh, yeah, those that did survive were drafted into the Roman army, so we do still hear of Bacchanics occasionally, but they're no longer a big nomadic barbarian force. There's now just some in the Roman army. Uh but overnight, the Roman situation changed. Many had thought before this the end was near. The empire was shrinking rapidly once again, but now they had won a victory worthy of Basil II himself. Yeah. The Bacchanics were no longer a threat, and the men were now free to take back the lost Greek islands, which they then did. Holidays are back on, guys! Oh yes, it helped that Alexios had contacted the old sultan of Rom's son, so the one who had died. His son was named uh, Kalij, and Kalij had been imprisoned after his father's death, but due to internal politics had been released, and he wanted the sultanate of Rom back. Alexios wrote to Kalij and pointed out that this Chakas guy who kept taking my Greek islands, well, he probably wants the sultanate of Rom himself, so maybe you should take care of him. Kalij was able to do this fairly easily because he happened to be married to Chakas's daughter. So he yeah. just invited the Saljuk general to dinner one day and just killed him when he was drunk. So just like that, the, uh, the general who was trying to invade uh, was killed by a son-in-law thanks to a letter from Alexios prodding him in the right direction. Oh. So there you go. It was looking bad, but Alexios turns it all around. Yeah, wow. So, free from the barbarian raids from the north and the Turkish raids from the east, he can finally draw a breath. But not for long, because he knows he needs to do something. What is top of the 2-2 list as emperor? Get bigger. Invade. Do your thing. Oh, yes. He needs to take Anatolia back. <laughs> it's no good that Anatolia's gone. That was the richer half of the empire, and it's gone. And to do that, he needs men. He can't use the Cumans uh, because he has just had to fight them in battle because they revolted soon after. Oh. <laughs> uh, he managed to defeat them, which is good, uh, but they're no longer going to work for him. Yeah. So he needs some good quality mercenaries. Where from this time? Britain. Pretty much every guess you said before, 
you can now guess and you'll be right. Okay. Britain. Yep. Oh, he just did a whole sort of... <laughs> Western Europe, mix. essentially. <laughs> yeah. Western Europe is full of people who will be able to fight. Surely, maybe I could get some mercenaries from them. After all, he figured the old find-your-enemies-enemies had worked against the Bukenics, so why not the Turks? All he needs to do is find another enemy of the Turks. Okay, well, that proves difficult, because we are the main enemy of the Turks. I mean, I suppose you could go down to the Fatimids in Egypt, but... Mm. But if he rephrased it, instead of saying, who wants to fight the Turks, he said, who wants to fight Muslims, he might be able to get a few more people on board. So he sends word to the Pope. It sounds like 2001 all over again. <laughs> well, the East and Western Church have been a bit cold of late. The Great Schism has come and gone. Um, although I'll admit I thought we were going to have more to say on the Great Schism because it just kind of went. Uh, it turned out the Great Schism is one of those things that seemed more important with time. When you were living at the time, you didn't really notice it because the West and East Church fell out all the time and then made up. And Alexios figured that this was a time to make up. Yeah, we've had our differences, he wrote to the Pope, but we're, we're both Christians. And a lot of land which belongs to a Christian empire, and most importantly has a lot of Christian uh, sites in it, now belong to the Islamic Turks. I don't suppose you could sort out some mercenaries from uh, in the West over there. Um, I'm sure something could be worked out. There's lots of prizes to be won. Surely we can come to an agreement. Now, the Pope was a Pope named Pope Urban at the time. He listened to this message, he thought about it, and he decided this was a good idea. No, not a good idea. A great idea. Oh, An amazing idea. A fantastic idea. Oh my goodness, we are doing this, said Pope Urban. That's a direct quote. You can ask Pontifex. <laughs> not, not the sending mercenaries. That wasn't a good idea. That was a rubbish idea. But they're taking the back of the Holy Land... That's an amazing idea. That sounds something like a Pope would do. I mean, I may be mean cynical, so yep. please correct me if I'm wrong. But it doesn't, to me and to my ears, and again, I could be wrong, this doesn't sound like a, uh, a religious thing, really. It sounds like a bigger empire thing. Jamie. If I were being cynical, I might I'm not shocked. be. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. Sorry for, I'm, I'm sorry, I could be wrong. I'm very shocked. I could be could be wrong. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll make up our our minds at the end. Um, so, so I'm assuming I don't want to don't want to steal your thunder. I'm assuming this is the crusade. Oh yes, yeah. You you've got it. This is it. We've hit the crusade era, Jamie. We've reached the crusades. Something that never really occurred to me when we first sat down and started doing Augustus is that one day we'd hit the crusades. But we're here. Wow. Here we are. So, the Pope sets about organising things. Uh, Alexios hears about this uh, to his utter horror. Alexios learns that the Pope was not organising mercenaries at all, but instead sowing the seeds for a full-on holy war against the infidel. Urban travelled to France and then spoke in front of a huge open-air crowd. Uh, it was such a popular speech, it was going to be inside, but they did it outside because so many people wanted to hear what he had to say. Uh, and, again, paraphrasing, but essentially the Pope said this, anyone who picks up a sword and goes east to take back Jerusalem and the surrounding area would be paid. Paid in absolution. All sins would be forgiven. Do whatever you want for the rest of your life. You get to go to heaven if you pick up a sword and fight. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. Seriously? <laughs> 
That that's that's quite a proclamation. <laughs> yeah, as you can imagine, this this goes down quite well. Yeah. Far better, perhaps, than anyone realised it would. And the First Crusade begins. Now, we're not a Crusade podcast. Something I had to keep reminding myself whilst writing this episode. We are not going to cover all that happens in the Crusade. There are other podcasts that will do that. But obviously, we will have an overview of what happens and look at how it affects Alexios. So the First Crusade, which is this one, is split into two parts. You've got the People's Crusade... And then you've got the Prince's Crusade. In yeah. other words, the rabble, the, the normal people, yeah. uh, who were inspired by the Pope and just wanted to get into heaven, essentially rushed off immediately, with no planning, following a charismatic monk named Peter. So they just legged it east, shouting huzzah. <laughs> uh, I don't know, the, this was the, the, the poor people, maybe not huzzah, maybe just shouting, Wee! Yeah, less posh voices. I have my hoe. Then various powerful men in Western Europe took their time to raise troops and organise things and then set off east a little bit later. And they had trained armies and they were looking to carve out new kingdoms. So, do you want to predict how these two halves of the crusade are going to go? Ooh, let me think. Um, Well, I'm I'm guessing the first half were were just... they barely reached Calais and would <laughs> again I've got this Britain in my head just all from Britain. Yeah, I was going to say considering most of them were Norman Frankish or Germanic peasants yeah. uh, barely making it to Calais is really disappointing yeah again wrong direction as well so yeah, that's yeah. even more embarrassing um, but, but you're the... thinking not good for the people's crusade then yeah okay and the princes I'm guessing not that good as well, because you... Well, I, I don't know. So okay. I'm not quite sure of how big of an army they'd be able to raise, but... Let's I mean, find out, shall we? Yeah, let's find out. Well, let's, let's talk about the People's Crusade first, because this is the first thing Alexius has to deal with. <clears throat> uh, he receives word that the Pope made this speech, and shortly afterwards, this monk named Peter has managed to raise, put together, <laughs> collect... Uh, an army slash group slash parade slash following of roughly 40,000 peasants. And to be fair, there were some knights in there as well, but not many. It was it was mostly the common person. Uh, in fact, I'll quote here, The sight of them was like many rivers streaming from all sides, and they were <laughs> advancing towards us through Dacia, generally with all their hosts. So just it was just streaming through Europe towards Constantinople. I guess in a way you can't defend against chaos. So, well, what what do you do? We can't prepare for you it. You know, forty thousand people are coming your way. They're going to come f- essentially through your capital city to get to the east. Mm. They're going to travel through all your land. So how do you prepare for that? Open all the pubs and bars. Yes. Free drinks. Get so yeah, drunk, you, you, then gather them up. You've essentially got it. Maybe not with the drink, oh. but yeah. <laughs> Alexios ordered huge stockpiles of food to be placed on the route to Constantinople. It's like, unless we feed these people, they will start taking it. So let's just move as much food as we can onto the route. Now, this this obviously would have helped, but it, it didn't do enough. Uh, whilst travelling east, the group ran into problems. Uh, soon after setting off, very much still in Western Europe here, they started raiding towns and cities for supplies. 
Peter, their leader, unable to control them. Reports came through to Alexios that the city of Belgrade had been sacked. Uh, the governor of the area had been forced to use troops against the Crusaders, uh, and generally drew, due to poor planning and fighting, uh, around 10,000 of 40,000 had died by the time it reached the capital of Constantinople. Uh. So a quarter of them didn't even make it to Constantinople. Wow. That's not good. But Alexios had made it very clear, no punishments for the Crusaders. Yeah, they'd they'd been bad, but we can't kill these people. We can't punish them. Alexios did not want them in the empire, but he also knew he couldn't go around killing thousands of French and German peasants. They've been sent here by the... Is it the Holy Roman Empire? Emperor? No, it's the Pope. Well, yeah, but also the Holy Roman Emperor, who was also very much on board. Yeah, yeah, so, fine. Instead, let's meet with Peter. So Alexios meets with Peter and instantly realised that Peter and his followers would be utterly massacred if they crossed the Bosphorus into Anatolia. It's like, seriously, I've been fighting the Turks all my life. They're serious. Uh, You guys are... No, you'll be massacred. So what does Alexios do? Um... Distraction. No. Oh, just attack. No. Oh. Shake of a hand, a good look, and waves oh, really? them on through. <laughs> yeah. Is he sort of like washing his hands of it, sort of like? That? Pretty much, yeah. It's like I won't do you any harm. Yeah. Off you go. There you go. You go. For you take back the holy land. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers yeah. with you. Yeah. The the. Uh, the People's Crusade crossed the Bosphorus, and everyone in Constantinople just sort of went slightly. It went very quiet in the city. There was a pause, and then the screaming started in the distance. Yeah, reports soon came back. After getting into Anatolia, discipline had broken down completely in the People's Crusade, and the Turkish forces ripped them apart. I'll quote uh, Anna Komlina here. Such a large number of Franks and Normans were the victims of the Ismailite sword that when they piled up the corpses of the slaughtered men which were lying on either side, they formed, I say, not a very large hill or mound or a peak, but a high mountain, as it were, of considerable depth and breadth. So, that's very analytical. A lot of people died. Yes. But the problems went over for Alexis. Brilliant. Remember, he originally just wanted to hire some mercenaries. That's all he wanted. He wanted to take back Anatolia with some mercenaries, but now there were reports of armies tens of thousands strong from all over Europe heading his way, with no allegiances apart from a vague one to the Pope or the Holy Roman Emperor. Mm. Yeah. You've lost control then. Well, he's going to. Yeah, it's it's not good. Um, Now, I'm simplifying this slightly for for time reasons and just to make it easier to understand. Obviously, it's slightly more complex than this, but I'm just going to say it this way for now. There were four main armies on the way. Number one, and I'm loving the names, by the way. We've really hit, like, peak medieval names. Brilliant. Army number one was Hugh's army, the army of Hugh. Hugh was the brother of the Frankish king. So that's nice. Army number two was the army of Godfrey. (laughs) Uh, He was the Duke of Lorraine. Army number three was Raymond's army. Uh, Raymond was the Count of Toulouse. Uh, And then the fourth army, and this was the one most worrying uh, for Alexius, was led by a man named Beaumont, son of Robert Guscard. Oh. The the man who they'd been fighting for for years. And he's now heading towards the capital with a huge army. Yeah. Apparently, 
to fight on my behalf, oh. but he's not sworn any allegiance to me. Uh, mm. He's come in this direction with very sharp things. Uh, also, interestingly, but less important for our story, but just because it's interesting, William the Conqueror's son uh, leads an army during this as well. Uh, but anyway, that's by the by. Uh, anyway, Alexios did not mind the armies fighting the Turks, obviously. Great, go and fight the Turks. But where would Anatolia go after it had been won? What would stop these forces from pulling a more effective Rousseau move and just declaring a new kingdom in Anatolia? Well, they're an empire building anyway, so fair, fair concern. Yeah. So what he decides to do is he would ensure that all the leaders of the armies that were heading their way, and these were big armies, um, he would make sure they all swear oaths of allegiance to the Roman Empire before moving on. Ooh. Now, he has some negotiating power to do this, because obviously these armies are going to be supplied, and the only way to supply them is going through Constantinople, oh. or by Constantinople supplying them themselves. So he does have some power to negotiate here. So he's doing it through resources rather than through power. That's... that's... That's clever. I like that. Yeah. So, as the armies uh, appeared, one after another, they all set up camps outside the capital. A huge, huge host of, of people. Tens and tens of thousands strong. Um, and Alexios starts meeting with the leaders one by one as they arrive. Again, simplifying here, but the leaders would have to swear to return the lost Roman land to the Roman Empire. So anything that used to be in the Roman Empire goes back. If you take any of Anatolia back, give it back to us. Uh, after that, you guys can carry on to Jerusalem, cause as much trouble as you want, uh, take what you want, um, and yeah, fine, set up some buffer states. In fact, that sounds pretty good. A buffer state between the Turks and the Roman Empire. That sounded good to Alexios. Fair enough. However, there were a few problems. Hugh accepted the oath straight away. That was fine. Uh, but Godfrey refused. He had sworn his loyalty to the Western Roman Emperor, and saw it as a betrayal to swear his loyalty to the Eastern Roman Emperor. So tensions rose, and then suspicions that Peter's army, so the People's Army, uh, had actually been killed by Alexios started to become rumour that was spreading. In order to put pressure on Godfrey, Alexios then cut the provisions to Godfrey's army, because they're camped outside Constantinople, but the only way they're feeding themselves is because Alexios is providing them food. Yeah. So predictably, Godfrey, and also his brother, who was along at the time, who we'll come across later, uh, they start raiding the surrounding area, because it's either that or starve. Yeah. So, again, predictably, Alexios raised some troops to stop this from happening. Alexios ordered his men to fire arrows over the heads of the crusading army as a warning. But obviously, arrows aren't precise. <laughs> and no. a few hit home. <laughs> Tensions rose once more. So much so, a battle began. Yeah. Not a huge battle, but certainly lives were lost and fighting ensued. I, I see, I'm envisioning, like, the like other three armies just huddle around watching like two drunken big guys from each army just beating each other up. Well, yeah, the the other crusading armies were like, this isn't what we should be doing. Take the bloody oath, Godfrey. Seriously. <laughs> what, what's wrong with you? Eventually, however, I mean, Alexios had the upper hand uh, because the other crusading armies weren't getting involved. Uh, Alexios had the power of the city behind him and all the supplies. Uh, Godfrey realised that... He, this was silly. Um, if they were going to push on, they needed Constantinople's help. Yeah. So 
in the end, through pressure from none other than the Pope himself, who had uh, received word, uh, Godfrey finally swears the oath reluctantly. Next up, Beaumont, son of Robert Guscard. Yeah. Anna Comlener described uh, him as a very scary man, and I quote, even his laugh sounded like a threat to others. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he would say. Like a Sid James laugh. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know. Yeah, a bit like yeah. that. Phil Collins laugh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Alexios received Beaumont and reminded him of their previous wars in a kind of, oh, hi. Do you remember when we were fighting? Uh, Beaumont apparently very cheerfully just recounted tales of the warfare. So, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, in fact, I'll quote him here. <laughs> Though I was certainly your enemy at the time, I come now of my own free will and as a friend. <laughs> but yeah, the meeting was tense. Uh, Beaumont uh, made sure that he watched everyone else eat and drink before he took anything. Ooh. He wasn't fully convinced that he wasn't going to be poisoned here. That's clever. Uh, there, there was, yeah, distrust on both sides. But eventually, when the matter of the oath came up, uh, much to Alexios's relief, Beaumont didn't object at all. Fair enough. I swear that oath. Fine. Yeah, cool. um, so, only one more. Raymond, Count of Toulouse. Raymond was the most experienced of the crusading leaders. Uh, he was approaching 60 years old. He was a very proud man. He also had the largest of the armies. He had also publicly announced that he would not be going back west. He was going to make a new kingdom in the east. His forces also had had a few run-ins with the Roman forces because they hadn't politely gone through Roman territory, unlike uh, Beaumont's forces apparently were on their best behaviour, uh, but yeah. not Raymond's. So uh, the meeting was very tense when they met. Uh, Raymond was in a bad mood to begin with. Alexios wanted assurances the new kingdom that Raymond was talking about did not mean Anatolia. Yeah. When you say you're going to carve out a new <clears throat> kingdom, make sure it's a bit further away. Jerusalem, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Very, very far. I mean, over yeah. there, looks like, over the horizon, yeah. would be splendid. Yeah. So are you going to swear this oath or not? Raymond refused. He would be willing to fight under Alexios, apparently, but you're not even coming into battle, so why on earth should I swear loyalty to you? Ooh. Because Alexios indeed had made it very clear he was not going with them. This was not what he wanted. He wanted mercenaries to lead, and this was not mercenaries to lead. Yeah. Uh, also, he was still not 100% convinced he was stable as emperor and did not want to go crusading, quite literally, and, and just leaving the capital vulnerable. For years. Uh, well, yeah, exactly. So he tries to persuade Raymond that he just politically can't leave the capital. That's why uh, I'm not going with you. So a stalemate ensues. A couple of weeks go by. Uh, eventually, an agreement uh, was reached. Raymond would not swear the same oath as the others, but he would swear to do the Empire and the Emperor no harm. A bit vague, but that would have to do. <laughs> so, the oaths are sorted. The political battle was won, and now for the real fighting. Uh, Alexius shipped the armies over the Bosphorus, wished them good luck, and waved them off. He then prepared his troops to follow and pretty much mop up Anatolia once the crusading armies had gone through it. And, uh, again, here we're going to have to uh, skim a lot of details, because obviously uh, there's a lot more going on than what I'm going to say here, but whistle-stop tour of the First Crusade. To begin with, the very nearby city of Nicaea was sieged. 
remember that that's a city on the doorstep of Constantinople that uh, the Turks had taken. Yeah. Uh, the Sultan, uh, remember his name was Khalij, he was still Sultan of Rum, and he was not expecting such a massive force, uh, and he was busy fighting in central An- Anatolia. So he rushed back, but he was fought off. However, the Crusaders could not take the city because it was being supplied by water and they couldn't siege it properly. So Alexios sent some of uh, his ships. He didn't want to get too involved, but seriously, if you're stuck at Nicaea, I need to help out here. Oh, yeah. So he sent some ships and with that support, the city was taken. Hooray. The Crusading armies then headed through Anatolia, hacking as they went. Uh, They took another major city uh, near the centre of Anatolia and essentially broke the back of the Sultanate of Rum. Wow. They then went on to Antioch. Godfrey's brother took a bit of a detour and took Edessa, which is another major city in the area, and they were able to take Antioch shortly afterwards. Quite a lot more happened than that, but I'm just yeah. skipping over that. They take Antioch after a lot of fuss. And then finally they reach their goal, Jerusalem. In 1099, the city was taken for the crusading armies. Huzzah! Huzzah! Countless Muslims were slaughtered in the streets, and all the Jews were round up and burnt alive in the synagogue. Yeah. Oh, there's been no time to go into it, but by the way, since the very start of the Crusade, as in when the armies left Western Europe, they have been systematically rounding up and killing all the Jews they could find. Because if you go into war simply to kill Muslims in the Holy Land, you might as well go and kill some Jews whilst you're on the way. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. Okay. It's, uh, it, it's all very hideous. Lots of people just murdered senselessly. The Crusades were not good. Not at all. But I, 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 when you said that, I got shocked. But I think what shocked me more personally in, in my own personality is that I thought that made it worse when actually they're off to kill Muslims. Yeah. Because, yeah. well, it's not because they're Muslim, because they want the land that they want. Yeah, but the excuse is they are not of the right religion, so yeah. they must die. Yeah, Ooh, uh, it's, it's not pleasant. No. It, it's, it's nasty. Lots lots of innocent people are slaughtered during this. It's not just armies fighting each other. There are full-on massacres taking place, uh, systematic massacres. Some historians refer to this as the first holocaust for the Jews because it is systematic across Europe as the crusading armies go through it. Um, yeah. Essentially, if you were Muslim or Jewish and you were in the area, you, y- your life was very miserable. But the crusading army had been very successful. So the prediction that both the people and the prince's armies uh, crusades fail was wrong. The prince's crusades hugely successful. They get to Jerusalem, they take it. In the end, the political map of the area has been completely ripped up. Uh, Again, simplifying, but Alexios and the Roman Empire now control a good portion of Anatolia once again. Not all of it, but a good half of it. Uh, Bayamond had taken Antioch for himself and declared himself the Prince of Antioch, and the surrounding areas now belong to him. Godfrey's brother, uh, his name was Baldwin, brilliant names, Uh, he'd split off and taken uh, Edessa, remember, so that now belonged to him, and Godfrey himself was now in charge of the land around Jerusalem, and there were a couple of other crusading states that were created at the time, Uh, but essentially new kingdoms suddenly spring up in this area that used to be the Abbasid Caliphate and now is a fractured uh, Turkish-controlled caliphate. Uh, So, there you go. 
Um, and things remain like that for about a year or so, until Alexius hears some news that probably made him smile. Uh, Bayamond had been captured by the Turks. The Turks were good at capturing people. <laughs> oh no, that's such terrible news. Such <laughs> terrible news. Alexios wasn't happy for long, however, um, because he was spending most of his time attempting to keep the constant uh, slew of enemies uh, marching through his land under control. All the crusading armies were getting reinforcements and new crusading armies were arriving, although none of these did it as well as the first push. They all got wiped out, essentially. Um, But he spends a lot of his time during this part of his reign just trying to facilitate armies marching over his land without them raiding his land uh, which he does fairly successfully now ironically it's only Raymond who refused to swear the oath who came out of the crusade looking like he wasn't going to be a threat to the empire he kept his word with Alexios and actually gave Alexios and the empire back some land uh, now it's far too complex to go into here but the region is essentially a hot mess of alliances and rivalries as the crusading armies split apart and claim their own kingdoms. After some crusading armies are defeated by the Turks near Edessa, Alexius was able to use this as a distraction and able to gain even more of the Roman Empire back. So he was able to take some land off one of the new crusading uh, armies' land and uh, pull it back into the Roman Empire. In fact, he manages to get all the way to Tarsus. So that's like top right-hand corner of the Mediterranean uh, in the area, sort of bottom right of yeah. modern Turkey. So yeah, he's he's all the way to the Sicilian gates. Uh, so he, he, yeah, he's getting loads of his land back, which is great. Bayamond was ransomed, he was released, and he was also furious because that was his land, according to him. Alexios may claim that Antioch was part of the Roman Empire, but I mean, that was his now, and how dare the Roman Empire come and start encroaching on his new kingdom. So, Bayamond looks to raise some troops to start fighting the empire once more. And where best to raise troops than Italy? So Beaumont goes back to Italy and starts raising another Norman army. This time with the idea of going back to the Roman Empire and taking the throne once more. Now in order to do this, he goes and sees the Pope and persuaded the Pope that the reason why the Crusade was now not doing as well as it was at the beginning uh, is it's not the Islamic world, it's actually the Eastern Roman one. Alexios was the enemy. Get rid of Alexios, and then the the Holy Land will be ours. So, Beaumont spends the next few years building up his forces, going to France, and then even meeting Henry I of England to try and persuade him to get some troops. Henry I? Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, wow. we're, we're, in, we're in English history now. Oh, we're seven uh, away from any, the eighth. Wow. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then, uh, in 1107, he was ready to invade the Empire once more and take it over. He crossed the Adriatic just like his father had a couple of decades before. Uh, but Alexios during all this time had not been idle. He'd heard of what Bermond was going to do. And when Bermond landed near Durazio in modern Albania, he found the city stuffed with Turkish mercenaries. These Turkish mercenaries had been hired by Alexios. Never mind, thought Bermond. A siege is a siege. Let's siege the city. Let's take the city. See, when you say mercenaries, I've got those like ninjas in my head. Like... Yeah, they were Turkish ninjas. Yeah. The Turks were well known for their ninjas. That's true, yeah. Yeah. So, the siege uh, starts, but then suddenly, uh, Beaumont finds his supply lines over the Adriatic cut off by a Roman fleet that suddenly appeared. And then, when he turned round, the Roman army with the Emperor himself appeared over the hills. (gasps) On the morning of the third day, look to the east. 
That kind of thing. That kind of thing. Uh, Bermond assumed he'd be able to walk into the Roman Empire much like his father had when he was younger. Uh, turns out Alexios had had time to prepare for this one. He was no longer a new emperor who was finding his feet and trying to deal with problems. He was an emperor who had had time to sort things out whilst yeah. the Crusades were going on. Oh. Yeah. And then the malaria hit. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. It would have been a, a, a quite quite the fight, because Bermond had some serious forces, but it, it would have been a fight. Uh, but once the malaria hit, uh, it was all over. Bermond was forced to give up. He was forced to publicly apologise to Alexios for being a breaker of oaths. Wow. No one wants to be a breaker of oaths. No. Uh, yeah, he gave up his title of Prince of Antioch, and uh, three years later died in relative obscurity. So for three years, the Empire had peace at last. Wow. Peace in, in their time, they had. Uh, but then in the year 1111, Aww. which is how it's known, yeah, raiders from Italy started causing problems. They were heading east to do a bit of crusading, because why not? And on their way, they were raiding the Roman Empire, because why not? Uh, they caused enough trouble that Alexius was forced to pay them off and promise not to impede their crusading, which was embarrassing, but as many emperors have found before, sometimes it's cheaper just to pay people off than fight. Oh, yeah. More worryingly, however, the Turks had managed to find their feet again, because the crusades had pretty much died down. Nicaea, so the city right next to Constantinople, was attacked and sieged. So this is deep into newly reclaimed Roman land. Yeah. Uh, there was a force of 50,000 Turks. That's a lot. Yeah, pretty much on the doorstep of Constantinople. This threatened to put back everything Alexis had uh, fought for. So Alexius, once more, jumps up, heads at the front of his army, and battle takes place. And he wins. Short version hey. of that one, for time yes. reasons. But yes, he manages to defeat the Turks in this battle and pushes them away. Uh, but it's around this time that Alexius becomes ill. What? He realised he was near the end. So he sought to secure his succession. It's fairly straightforward, his succession. Despite him and Irene not particularly getting on, at least at the start of their reign, they had several children together. And after their eldest child, who is the aforementioned Anna Comnena, who wrote yeah. the book, uh, he eventually has a son called John. He would be the next emperor, Emperor John. However, it wasn't quite that simple. Uh, his wife, Irene, wanted the husband of their eldest daughter, Anna, to become the emperor because she didn't like John. Uh, this is none other than a man named Bryennios. That's right, the son of Bryennios, who had revolted under Michael. Uh. Uh, however, I'm not going to go into that now because that's for a future episode. All we need to know is that all the scheming was unsuccessful because Alexios, just before he died, was able to essentially say, no, John's going to be emperor. He dies? He dies in 1118 oh. of... General Lurgy. And there you go. That is the end of the reign of Alexios. The very busy reign of Alexios. It's very busy. Everything that's happening is like... You almost need a diagram to know what's going on. Yeah, I, it was a struggle to fit everything onto one episode. Uh, and I hope I haven't skimmed over too much. Well, you must have... Oh, I have skimmed over a lot. It, you have to have done Yeah, it. I, there is a lot more detail, because you could go into all of the Crusades um, and what happened and exactly how the Crusades took place. But it wasn't Alexios, it wasn't the Roman Empire. No. That was the Crusading yeah. uh, armies. What I really have missed out on is a lot of the detail that Anna Comnena gives. But I suggest 
listeners go and read that for themselves because it is a great read there's nothing significant i've left out it is just little details extra characters that i've left out because their part wasn't quite as important as needed to be stuff like that um but yeah so there we go shall we rate him quite good there there's some some falls but certainly lots to talk about so let's very quickly just go through the list because that's right there's a list (laughs) who was a general under michael uh, fighting back the turks with his brother was put in charge of capturing Rousseau, which he managed to do. He then fought under Michael against Bryennios. He then fought under Nikephros III against Bryennios. Uh, and then he put down all the coups during Nikephros's rule, apart from the one by Milesinos, which he refused to do. But if you remember Nikephros's episode, it was just coup after coup, and it was all uh, Alexios who put those down. Then he coups himself and takes the throne. Okay, to be fair, little physical fighting there, but that was more political fighting. Mm. He engineered things so he could essentially walk in. Then we see the fighting against the Normans, a huge threat uh, from Robert Guscard there. He lost quite a lot to begin with, some significant losses to begin with, in fact. Uh, but in the end, he wins the war against the Normans. Yeah. He comes out on he top. Does. He then puts down the Bogomil Revolt. He then destroyed the Bekenegs pretty much completely. They are not a problem again for, for many, many a year. He then puts down the Cuman uh, raids that are going on. Yeah. He lost some Greek islands uh, to the Turkish general Chaka, but he managed to take them back. Uh, and then the Crusades start. Now, obviously, he doesn't get any credit for any of the fighting in the Crusades because he sat back and went, no, yeah. I don't. <laughs> this is not how I want to do it. However... Once the crusading armies had passed through Anatolia, the Roman forces do go out and start doing some fighting. They do some support of the crusading armies. There's a bit with uh, Antioch, sort of, um, which I didn't go into. Now, this isn't Alexios personally. He's busy at home trying to stabilise things. But he sends out none other than John Ducas to go and do the fighting. Now, this is now the grandson of John Ducas that we know because yeah. time's moved on. Still, under his rule, parts of the empire come back. Uh, then there's the final fight against Bayamond and the Normans once more, so yet another Norman war, which uh, he prepares for and manages to put down pretty much immediately. In the end, the empire expanded under him. It looked like it was going to completely fall apart, and he's managed to stabilise it. The first military emperor since Basil II? Generally, it's all pretty good. For bad, he did lose a few battles, like I said, but essentially he always came out on top in the end, so... I, I'm, I'm very impressed. There's nothing hugely amazing, but if you consider where the Empire was when he took charge, and where it is where he ends, he stopped the fall. It, everything was falling apart when he took charge. That's true. He stabilised the borders, you could argue. He expanded and then stabilised, yeah. Yeah, it even matter, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he generally wins most things. Or, oh, he did lose to the Bekenigs once, but then he defeated the Bekenigs afterwards. Well, he made them extinct, so... And know. also, he's just a very fighty emperor. He led these armies personally most of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going high, but not stupidly high. Well, well I'm thinking seven. Uh, that's exactly what I was thinking. Really? Oh, that's good. That is 14. Aprovium Crazium. Right, despite all the many, many details we get, there's, there's not much here. Don't know, I suppose we could give him points for cooing. I always forget that one, because oh, yeah. lots of people coo. But yeah, cooing is probably crazy, so maybe yeah. he deserves a point or two for that. But for just stories, um, he burnt alive Basil the Bogomil. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, in the middle of the Hippodrome. This is uh, possibly in the last year of his life. Uh, Burning alive is rare. We've not seen it very often. Seen as quite harsh. Oh, yes. Um, Yeah, Basil was a Bogomil leader. He refused to repent for his heresy. Now, Alexios, a fearsome orthodox by the end of his life, decided to make an example of him. According to Anna, who described Basil, and I don't know why this amused me so much, but it did, as a very brave Bogomil. <laughs> Who's a brave Bogomil? You are. <laughs> uh, well, apparently he went mad before being burnt uh, and started announcing that the flames would not harm him. Uh, so unnerving was his performance, the people who were due to throw him in the fire pit don't think stake here, think big pit of fire he was thrown in. Yeah, his uh, executioners were unnerved and decided to do a test before throwing him in the flames just in case it turned him into Satan. How how do you test? Oh, don't worry. It's not as bad as you're fearing. It's not like a finger or something. Uh, They cut a bit of cloth from his robe and throw it into the flames. And it's like, fine, your robe's burned, so you'll probably burn. The, The bit of cloth caught light and in the heat was thrown into the air in a kind of way that things do sometimes when they're alight. Basil saw it and shouted, Look at my cloak flying into the sky! And if he was about to state that that meant something, it was too late, because, and I quote, They took him and pushed him, clothes, shoes and all, into the middle of the pyre. (laughs) The flames seemed to dart and snatch hold of him. So yeah, I think he was in the middle of proclaiming that he'd never be burnt alive as he was just hurled, I'm guessing, wing and a leg into the flames. That's a good. That, I think that's a good way of mental pro- and emotional protection for yourself. Just yeah, I'm guessing so. So yeah, burning alive is harsh, um, but yeah, that's 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 about it really. We don't have much. I mean, they also have the fact that many many bogomils were persecuted. This was full on persecution of religious beliefs under Alexios's rule. They were seen as heretics and they suffered because of it. Uh, so that's not good. And like I say, he cooed as well. So it's not great. I'm going to give him two. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll match one, that. One for burning Basil the Bogomil and one for the usurping. Yeah. I'll go with that. So four cool. for a program crazy. Success ultimate. Okay, the Empire is undoubtedly in a better state than it was when he died. Yes, that is true. So it's yeah. a positive number, probably above five. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, this is definitely a successful rule. The Empire was as close to complete collapse as it had ever been, bar perhaps in Heraclius's time. I don't think we've quite come this close before. The no. walls were seriously closing in. I mean, the border of the Empire was essentially Greece and Bulgaria. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's about it. about it. So, he managed to push that back, and he's now got bits of Anatolia, about half of Anatolia back. He's now got most of the Balkans back. Uh, things are looking better. But he did things that weren't just military advancements. He also helped the economy out. The Solidus gold coin, which has been the coin in the Roman Empire since Constantine I's time. Wow. Yeah, uh, it's finally no longer working. Uh, as we saw under Michael, this coin is worth a mere three-fourths of what it used to be, seven. Is it, was that the name we decided upon? I can't remember. That's not very catchy, is it? Um, but yeah, uh, the, yeah, the Solidus had it been devalued so much that it just wasn't working. So he introduces a new coin, and a new gold coin, but also a new Electrum coin, which just sounds Ooh. futuristic and Ooh. cool. I know what that is. Yes. That's an alloy of silver and gold. 
Yes, yes it is. Uh, so yeah, using these two coins, it helps the economy. That's all I'm going to say, because the economy is very complex, uh, more so at such a distance, and we simply don't have time to go into it in this episode. <laughs> but just know for a tick in the wing column is that an economy that was tanking stabilizes underneath him. Uh, and it's helped by the introduction of these new coins. And finally, um, he puts an end to the powerful, as in with a capital letter, infighting that had plagued the Empire since Basil's time. To put it simply, his hold on power lasted long enough to ensure that his extended family were the powerful. Nice. He, he married people off and he arranged things, so it's no longer vying powerful families, it's now the Komnenai family. Nice. And if you're not the Komnenai family, you're outside. Now, obviously, uh, nepotism was rife, and that in long term quite often leads to bad emperors and bad ruling. Yeah. But in the short term, this stabilizes everything for a bit, because you've no longer got the power struggles behind the throne. Uh, bad? I, I, nothing really springs to mind. I think he generally was a force for good for the Empire. Yeah, there's not much that he brought the Emperor down by. I mean, you, you could argue that when all these crusade armies were turning up and they had to be fed, it was taking money out of the mouths of the people living. Like, we have no idea that probably affected the poor people in the city. Yeah, but it was that either happened, that but... or let the crusading armies just take it. Yeah, it was a bad situation, and he managed to... Oh, obviously, yeah, that's a very good point, something I have not put in the Successors Ultimus. Uh, being the person who had to arrange the crusading armies to cross your empire, uh, that's not an easy task. And he generally manages to do it that with is, success. Actually, that is... Yeah. He, yeah. he skirted that very well. and he yeah. yeah. Because there was nothing stopping these crusading armies going, you know what, we're just going to take the Roman Empire whilst we're here. And they could have done. They certainly could have given it a damn good go. Yeah. So, um... <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, no, I'm I'm generally very impressed. Yeah. But again, it's nothing amazing. No. I'm high, but I'm not oh wow, he is the most amazing emperor no. we've ever come across. I'm thinking seven. I think in six. Oh, okay, but lower, but lower. Okay. But that's fine. That's fine. Okay, so that is thirteen for successors Ultimus. Image face. Here we go. We have uh, a near contemporary image from a manuscript. That is haunting. <laughs> it's brilliant, isn't it? That's terrifying. He's just like white, staring, dead eyes. He's giving side eye to whoever's next to him. He's reading <laughs> yeah. a book. Maybe yeah. someone's just told him to put the book down and he's just giving them a glare. Yeah. He looks fierce, doesn't he? He's got something about the he, eyes. Uh, yeah, he's got a frown. It's the frown. Yeah, he's frowning. He's slightly wrinkled. And the, he's... Yeah, the bag's under his eyes. He looks annoyed. You don't want to mess with him. And I like it again. We're we're getting into we're going to see more like this as we enter this age. Uh, but it's refreshing to hit this age where we're no longer relying on coins or even mosaics. We're starting yeah. to get manuscript drawings, uh, and um, maybe the novelty will wear off and I'll start awarding lower. But I like this. I think yeah. it's good. Yeah, I, I'm impressed. I, I'm going uh, eight. I'm going to match that because that's a. I think that's the first apart from Caracalla. That's the first expression we've seen on a on a an emperor. It's good and expressive, isn't it? I do like it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Him and Caracalla are frown off. That would be good. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, how long do you think he lasts? 
See, that's the trouble with you. You sort of like rush through everything. Like, so I, I, it's hard to know the length of things. But a crusade would have lasted years. I, I'm guessing it's more than a year. <laughs> yes, um, it is. I, I'm not going to be precise. Well, I, I, I could do, but okay. 22 years. 22 whole years. Uh, he reigned from 1081 to 1118. That is 37 years. Bloody, that's almost Augustus level. Oh, weird. It's, it's a serious length of reign. This is this is what I mean by stabilising the empire. Um, this is why so much happens under his rule. I mean, an entire wow. crusade fits in his rule. He sees the start and the end of it. It's, uh, wow. it's a long rule. So that gives him a very impressive score of 4.63. Now, I hope you've been taking note of the scores, because I've not been. I'm going to use a calculator this time, because the amount of times we've got it wrong... Oh, my goodness. Uh, 36.63. Uh, future Rob, um, recording this whilst editing, just to jump in and say his score was actually 39.63. Uh, not sure how we managed to mess it up yet again, uh, but... Uh, I, I'm just jumping in to correct it straight away, so we don't have to do it next time. We are so bad at adding up. Anyway, back back to uh, back to the episode. Not bad, but yeah. one more question. Yes. Do they have a certain genesis? I think he's in the running for it, considering the empire was going really bad. Yeah, you see, bizarrely, despite the fact he's got the most extensive source material. Despite the fact he turns the empire around, he is undoubtedly a very good emperor. He's one of the best emperors the empire's ever seen. <laughs> but what well, we're going to judge him. <laughs> but what what is there that you go there's this about him? Well, sometimes you can be quiet but have a massive impact and he you cannot argue that he didn't have a big impact. Yeah, you're right. The empire was about to collapse, and he stopped it. I mean, come on, surely that's got to well, give him, you some he also, genesis. He didn't, he didn't just stop it. He didn't just make it stagnate. He improved he it. He did. He did. You're right. He did. He went to an uptick. And also, actually, what did he do that was impressive? His coup was impressive. There was some good, good coupage going on. I, I, I think we need to maybe flip the coin. No, I'm, I'm going to give it to him. You need it to him. Okay, brilliant. I will as well. All right, okay. Uh, it, it was one I had to stop and think about, but I, I think it, it's far too mean not to. I think it's unfair to be this good of an emperor and not get Genesis. Well done, Alexius. You are a Genesis winner, and you uh, join everyone else in the chariot race at the end. Ah, brilliant. We'll see how you go. Right. Thank you very much for listening, um, and uh, it's good to be back. Yes! Uh, Normal uh, schedule should resume, but we've got a couple of announcements before the end. Um, Yes, we do. First of all, um, I know we literally just did a rejig of uh, the release schedule, but then everything fell apart, so we went off for a bit. But we might be rejigging it again slightly. Um, it shouldn't affect the Roman series too much. I'm uh, thinking of changing the way we do the American series uh, because, uh, due to several changes uh, in my life, uh, 
essentially I need to make the podcast a little bit more economically viable to justify being four days a week in my job. Uh, so to do that, we need to push the Patreon a little bit more, which usually we just have running in the background. Uh, so to do that, we are thinking of starting an American patron, uh, if you are an American listener as well. Um, you might be interested in that. Details will follow in an American episode. Uh, but also, we're, I don't know, we're going to have a think about the Roman one. How can we make the Patreon thing for the Roman series a bit more interesting? Maybe we just do more regular episodes of the Roman Republic one. But yeah, we've not really discussed this yet, or at all, in fact. No. Uh, but, I mean, it's up to you as well, the listeners. Like, tell us what, yeah. what would you like that you'd be willing to, you know, just chip in a few, you know, a pound or so. Yeah, or... essentially if you think we provide you with $5 worth of entertainment a month, uh, it would be very welcome. Um, but if you've got a suggestion of what would make that more interesting for you, uh, let mm. us know. Maybe a series on Star Trek. <laughs> Maybe you know. a series on Star Trek. <laughs> Who knows? Um, so, um, yeah, just know that there are things in the pipeline. Uh, in the meantime, yeah. you can sign up for our Patreon, our Roman Patreon, right now, and you will have access to loads of episodes of our Roman Republic series, including a mini-series on Scipio, which is possibly my favourite Roman thing we've ever done. Oh, that um, was so much fun. But yeah. You see, this is it. I'm thinking maybe maybe we could do a couple more mini-series. Yeah, really dive into a couple of Romans, maybe even yeah. some non- Republic Romans, but yeah, who knows? Um, anyway, so that's the first thing. The other thing is uh, nothing to do with us, uh, but I got a message. Oh, by the way, I've had loads of messages over the last couple of months when we've been off air uh, because my life has been so busy. I know I missed some, so if you uh, sent a message to me and I didn't reply, I'm really sorry. Uh, well, I replied, and I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, I do try and reply to everything, but uh, it, things got a bit crazy for a while. Um, but this one I saw. This is from Lucy Hines, and uh, Lucy is a listener to our podcast and also Rex Factor, and she really enjoys the podcast and she wants to do her own podcast. Similar to uh, the Rex Factor Totals Ranking style of uh, covering someone biographically and then rating them, but it will all be based around the Tudors. So, looking at different Ooh. Tudors. However, unfortunately, this isn't a this is a podcast coming out announcement. Uh, because Lucy wants to do the podcast, but she needs someone else to do it with her, because she doesn't know anyone personally who will do it. So, this is a potential. Is there any of our listeners out there who have been listening to us, and then maybe Rex Factor or Pontifacts, and going, you know what, I'd quite like to give that a go, and I also love doing research on the Tudors. If so, uh, get in contact with us, and then maybe we could get you in contact with Lucy. Uh, because the more podcasts, the merrier, is what I say. Um, so yeah, yeah, um, yeah have a think. Um, oh, that'd be a great opportunity. Sounds sounds fun. Ah, oh, sounds great. Can, can I also just say, uh, it's like uh, if if you're interested in Roman and Byzantine history, uh, if you go onto Facebook, there's a Roman and Byzantine history group on facebook uh led by scott roland so yes. if you want to on that please do long time fan of the podcast like, and he's a you know good friend to us and uh, lots, yeah. a lot of recommendations for sources so oh yeah um, yeah i'd have been lost several times if he hadn't recommended some sources for me he's been a great so, help so please check the group out because there yeah. are a lot of history buffs on there that will give you lots of information and facts if you ask questions so yeah go for it great okay we'll stop waffling now because it's been a long episode um yes. and uh, yes uh, all that needs to be said is 
Nay! <laughs> Votes for horses! Goodbye. Goodbye. We're here, we have the best soldiers in the world to lead God army forward, forward into the abyss. We'll lead the infidels into darkness. You'll lead them into the abyss, yes. No, I imagine you will. Um, right, well, Peter, it's lovely you're here. Yes, yes it is, I'm here because of God um, and money. Yes, yes, the enthusiasm is great. It's just when I asked for mercenaries, I was thinking... No, 10, 20, 30,000 armed knights. Well, I have Jeffs. I'm sorry, you have. Jeffs. I'm going to hope that that's a military term that I've not come across. Preferably one that means 40,000 knights. Well, you should be just as impressed. Well, what they lack in armor and fighting ability and um, bravery. They shall make up for in vim and in vigor. Uh, yeah, Jeff the First. Check out his mighty sword. The first what? Uh, he's dropped it on the floor. The first Jeff we found. Look, he almost picked up the sword from the ground. I'm, I'm, I'm so Jeff's a, a person. This this peasant struggling to to pick up that spoon. Yes, it's a spoon. Is is Jeff? So you, you, Jeff's as a, a person, as a peasant. That's what you're telling me. Well, we, we think he's a pe- he, he's probably human. And and you refer to him as Jeff. The first how how many Jeffs did you find? Ten, thousand. Ten, I'm sorry, ten thousand. Yes. Uh, are you telling me that this army is all Jeff? Yes. How did you find ten thousand Jeffs? Well, Emperor, we stumbled across a valley, a valley we found in the in the Danube region. We, we travelled down and we, we found just a, a mass of them just huddle around. We, we think they've been breeding since Trajan's time. Oh, God. Yes, wielding so- well, we say swords, sticks, hunting squirrels. I say hunting. I say squirrels. Right, um, and you want to lead this army, this people's army of Jeffs, to fight the Turks? They are Christian men at heart. Yes. It's either that, or they stay here and settle in Constantinople. Bloody good luck to you, sir. Bloody good luck. I'll get the ships. Right, dress. Move out. No, no. Pick up the swords. Pick up the swords. Oh, they're all drowned. And they're not even near the water. It's just raining. Totalis Rankium apologizes to any Jeff Storians who now have to fit this into the narrative.